I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom by, well, Tom with Lapdog Bionic. That's uh, my new nickname. Wasn't that a balk? It was a little bit of a balk. Yeah. Runners, take your base. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you this week for another interesting and unique Future Quake Show. Indeed. And this one will be more unique than most. Yes. Uh, in fact, um, for those of you who are new listeners, and we're getting a lot of new listeners every month, the mm-hmm. Future Quake Show, mm-hmm. uh, this is going to be a little different departure from our normal format. Uh, we normally will bring in a special guest that comes in for an interview uh, that we will record and play over the first four days of the week, followed by a review of the news. Mm-hmm. But we have an extra, extra special guest this week. We have our own Tom Bionic, our Woo-hoo! co-host. Uh, here to have a show that has been long overdue. We need to do, need to do, and I know some of our futurians like uh, Johnny the Longshoreman out there are going to be very happy to be able to Hopefully. get to hear you speak a little bit more <laughs> because uh, he and a number of our other uh, uh, futurians out there who are longtime listeners have said, you know, we'd like to hear you all talk a little bit more, particularly here. Brother Tom, share a little bit about some things on his mind, because, mm-hmm. you know, you and I just put in our snide comments during the week when we had well, our guests. Well, one of us, I just put in the snide comments. No, you just, no, your, no. your stuff is very good. We put in our two cents or half a cent or whatever, yeah. and then let it all hang out of the news. But mm-hmm. uh, we, we recently had a show some time ago where I sort of uh, laid out a little bit about some prophetic things I had mm-hmm. some interest in. Mm-hmm. And this time, we're going to hear directly from you, uh, and in the process, we're going to learn a lot more about yourself. Yeah, I know it's kind of scary. In fact, uh, listeners we're, don't change that dial. <laughs> well, we're calling uh, this uh, particular uh, episode this week a testimony of an intellectual path to a risen Lord. That's my title. That's a good. I no, coined a good title. Of, of where you're going, and it's going to be the path that our our dear friend Tom Bionic has has trod. Mm-hmm. And so I ask our listeners, uh, you may be looking for some kind of big household name guest e- each week, but hang with us. You may find this to be one of the most important shows. Uh, that you've heard and listened to, and we'd like to have some feedback uh, I don't, I don't like from you, you all on this. Sitting no, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna hear you uh, wax philosophic here. Okay. Um, and and let me just clarify, fellow Futurians, uh, given that Brother Tom Bionic's new blog uh, pertaining to the subject matter we discuss here on Future Quake, which is located at futurequakeradio.blogspot.com. That's right. right. Is Fu- that right? Futurequake. <laughs> yes, sir. That's your blog. Futurequakeradio.blogspot.com is now up and running, and it provides a form for Tom to. Uh, Wax philosophical and post extended written essays mm-hmm. on the topics that we briefly touch here on the radio. Mm-hmm. And we thought it would be a good idea, since that's up and running now, to dedicate a show to discuss uh, your unique path to arriving at your Christian faith mm-hmm. and how it influences your thinking and your perspectives. There you go. And listeners out there, we hope that this is going to enlighten you and maybe provide some answers that will be beneficial to you or to someone you share this broadcast with. And I think some of you might want to share this with some people who are sitting on the fence about Christianity. Mm. And some of the things that you say uh, could make a big difference with them. I hope so. You know, as anyone who's regularly listened to our shows, uh, 
weather during the, the regular weekly guest interviews or when we cover our news stories, Tom and I frequently clash on our perspectives of applying the principles of the Christian faith into daily routine practices mm-hmm. and the and the true. customs of what I call our Christian culture. This is true. We 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 come we from, come from about as far as as far as uh, uh, you can in right. the United States. That's right. Yeah. In fact, I come from what I would call a very traditional evangelical culture, mm-hmm. common to this area around mm-hmm. the Bible Belt where we're broadcasting from. Why, why you come from a very different culture and upbringing, which I think and hope adds some energy uh, to our show. It not adds only, something. I'm not well, sure. Well, it adds something. Exactly. Tension, maybe. <laughs> but uh, it uh, it at least uh, you know adds a little bit not only in the dichotomy between us, but in the different information and perspectives that each of us has picked up along the way. Yeah. That true. we find opportunities to mm-hmm. add in. You know what I found interesting though in this process is how your insights and perspectives have evidently resonated with a large part of our audience. Uh, judging from the no, <laughs> judging from the emails I read, many of which uh, of, of these Futurians have also come into the family of God from less traditional directions as mm-hmm. well. Uh, therefore, uh, I think this show is is, is going to really be seen to be one that focuses on the intellectual principles and the path that uh, our brother Tom here uh, has led uh, into his saving faith mm-hmm. and his acceptance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Indeed, and we hope all of you out there are going to find at least some of the contents uh, instructive. I hope so. So there's Gosh. there's our disclaimer and preamble. <laughs> I'd like to get into our discussion here. In yeah. fact, to begin it, uh, Brother Tom, mm-hmm. can you give us some details on your background and where have you come from yeah. to where you are today? Yeah. Well, um, I grew up in the southern tip of northern California, uh, 60 miles north of San Francisco. Uh, Californians will tell you that the state really is divided in three, while the rest of the United mm-hmm. States is, thinks it's divided in two. Um, the Napa Valley, you know, wine, grapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it was a pretty nice place to grow up. Safe Ascot, neighborhood. smoking jackets. Uh, well, I wouldn't go that far. Or at least sweaters tied over your shoulders. Probably not even okay. there. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be honest, like, it was a really good place to grow up. You know, really clean streets, safe. Mm-hmm. It was a tourist mecca, you know, sort of, to, mm-hmm. for upper crust people with a lot of cash wanting to go and do right. wine tasting, stuff like that. Um, you know, as far as school went, I wasn't, I was definitely not interested academically in school. You know, I would, hmm. I would, I test it into, I would test into uh, like AP classes mm-hmm. and then kind of pass out in the back and, you know, like wake up and be like, where am I? So you go all the effort to get into them, but just really not apply yourself. No, no, I didn't go into any effort. I would take a test and they would go, you scored really high. Yeah. You know, like I took the SATs and uh, I stayed up all night partying mm-hmm. and uh, I still got like a 1200. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but. You know, I digress. The point was, is the point. The point is, is that I just wasn't interested in the academics of school, mm-hmm. partly because I thought I was being sold to bill of good about a lot of things that I just I didn't. So want you to were a rebel even there. Maybe a loner. Okay. I don't know about a rebel. Now, was your interest in music strong at that point? Well, yeah. Is that was, what motivated you? That was the thing. From about 15 to 16 years old on, that's pretty much all I wanted to do. I remember I figured out how to like make a couple chords on the guitar. I'd been playing the fiddle for a few years, mm-hmm. but I remember how to play. Uh, uh, I, rem- I figured out how to make a couple of chords on the guitar, and uh, literally within three months, I had this guy, I, this family friend, he was teaching us guitar, teaching me guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he gave me two lessons, and then I came back like two months later, and then I played better than he did. He said, wow. "I don't, I can't teach anymore. Eight lessons, really? and you've already surpassed me." So um, anyway, yeah, I was just like. I just, I was intense about it, hmm. you know. Um, so I decided to go and study music further. 
Uh, so I went to this unique little community college in Texas called South Plains College, uh, where they give uh, they give they let you study commercial music full time with the idea that you can go into the sort of that industry, go to one of the places like Nashville or New York or L.A. and be a studio musician or play with touring bands. And a lot of people don't realize that it's like a 16 billion dollar industry, and they need people you know with certain skills to come and do that. So hmm. uh, and classical music doesn't necessarily always give you those skills. So and our South Plains College, and there's a uh, there's a bunch of different places to do that, but that was kind of one of the, the the place to go for me. Um, so anyway, I stayed there for a while in Texas uh, and got a job uh, doing theater production stuff, playing in the band, running yeah. the band there uh, uh, for the sort of ro- rolling theater thing there for a while, uh, and then moved back to California, completed some general education requirements, and I figured you know in case I ever needed to get like a real job. Uh, I should get a real degree, right? you know. So I went to uh, UC Santa Cruz, University of Santa Cruz, California, mm-hmm. um, and got a... Now, did you, had you finished a bachelor's degree prior to that time? Or? No, I got okay. a I got an associate's degree okay. in music. Okay. Um, technically not even, I didn't even get the degree, I'm one credit short. Oh. I, need, I need one government class. Okay. Um, but I figured... You could th- teach the class now after your future quick experience. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you yeah. about Timothy Geithner. Yeah. Um, so I went and got a degree in economics, mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of what I did. You know, uh, the week I graduated there, uh, I got a call from a band leader, and and he said, "Hey, do you want to go on tour?" And I was like, "Sure, of course I do." Is this a full time job? He said, "Yeah, it's a full time job." So it was literally like I graduated and then went up to a little music festival and hung out all weekend. Got back Monday and there, were, you know, got the mm-hmm. phone call at like three in the afternoon. So. There was no, in retrospect, I actually kind of think it was like a Lord's timing thing. Hmm. You know, it was just sort of uh, incredibly opportune. Sure. You know? um, and this is bluegrass? Yeah, music? mostly okay. bluegrass. Although I'll kind of do, I'll do whatever mm-hmm. has, I, I would do whatever has a mm-hmm. paycheck attached to and it. And your your instrument evolved, right? And what you settled into a particular instrument. Yeah, well, I definitely, well, I started out playing fiddle, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I've always done. But okay. I, I think I like playing guitar more. Really? You know, I yeah. didn't know that. Well, huh? yeah. There's a lot of guitar players and not so many fiddle players. Okay. So it doesn't, you know. Right. Like, who cares? Who cares right. if I can play guitar? Ten right. other people can. Um, I don't know. Like, looking back on stuff to date, uh, it's it's weird in that, like, I see all these, there was all these Christian people that I kind of got to know and all that stuff, but none of it really resonated with me, you know? Okay. Well, I want to talk about that. Next on the on the religious side of things, but okay. can you do, do you mind sharing a little bit about where you went from there? I mean, you were touring, mm-hmm. oh. but somehow you ended up here. Well, this is true. This is true. Um, I was touring and I played with that band for I don't know about two two and a half years, and then about that time, like the Lord called me into His fold, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of the stuff that we hopefully get to tonight, um, is kind of you know, like kind of what we're going to talk about my journey there. Okay. Um. <clears throat> but yeah, I played with this. I played with that band for about two years, and then quit that band because it just wasn't making enough money. And mm-hmm. um, and then a couple of weeks later, a couple months later, I got, I joined uh, a, like a half a dozen other bands, all really like nationally touring bands. Like they all called me at the same time. Wow! And it was cool. Yeah, you know, uh, with one band I played with, this band Lost Highway. We went. We played all over the world. We went to Europe. We went to Canada a bunch of times. We were the first bluegrass band to play in the Sultanate of Oman, 
and uh, we were there for two weeks, just about. Wow. And uh, that was, yeah, it's that was a hmm. wild, wild journey, for sure. Um, let's see, yeah, uh, I've done Europe a couple of times, and mm-hmm. like Canada, so many times I feel like I'm a Canadian, mm-hmm. or used to anyway, haven't been up there in a while. Um, yeah, just all over the place, hmm. and... Uh, <clears throat> but you ended up here in Nashville. That's true. That's true. While I was, um, while I was, while I was playing with this one band, like the band leader was just, he was like the most. By the time I was in this band, I was, I, I got saved, and then I joined this band, and it turns out the lead guitar player in this band, I was playing fiddle in the band, mm-hmm. the lead guitar player in this band had been, uh, had been a minister for a bunch of years. Uh, at like a Calvary Chapel church, like yeah. an assistant pastor, and had and had done some serious, serious work in like all areas, you know, from deliverance mm-hmm. ministries to everything. And he was still to this day one of the most educated Christians I know of, as far as his knowledge of the Bible and how everything mm-hmm. fits together and stuff. And after it took me about six months to figure out like just how smart he was, because he didn't really put his faith on people, you know. Right, right. Although he would totally ask. In retrospect, he would totally ask leading questions to everybody he met mm-hmm. to get them to consider their preconceived notions of mm-hmm. uh, how they how they interacted with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I figured all this stuff stuff out, he would drive he would drive the bus, the tour bus from zero uh, zero from midnight mm-hmm. to six, and I would sit up and we would talk theology, and I would just okay. get these great discussions, huh. you know, like. Like all the stuff about like the Nephilim and all of this stuff, we we went into all of it. Even in pre-Future Quake world, oh, you talked about the Nephilim. The Nephilim was pretty much like old hat when I got into well, Future God's Quake. God's hand must have been on you to prepare you for your mission. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that wasn't on was like the New World Order stuff. You know? Yeah. I'll talk. I'll see him about once every six months or so, and I'll talk to him about it, and he looks at me like, mm-hmm. like you know, like I grew like everybody and, looks at us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know that was. That was kind of the thing. Anyway, yeah. I, I was in that. I was with that band, and then uh, the guy was just the the band leader was just really, really, really dishonest. Mm. Uh, like people would people would come up to him and go, "I just love the way you sing, and it's just like the best thing mm-hmm. ever." And I just I really want you to have this guitar. It was my grandfather's guitar, and it's like a family heirloom. Right. But you just moved me so much, and I don't really play, and I, yeah. I had a stroke, yeah. and I can't really. I just can't make chords anymore. And I'm just getting up there in years, and I want you to have this and carry on right. the tradition. And he'd give them, they would give him like uh, a pre-war D28, which is just like forty thousand. Was a Martin? Yeah, yeah, pre-war Martin D28. Yeah. It's like a forty thousand dollar guitar. He would take it and play it a month, and then sell it. Mm. <laughs> mm. it was Believe me, so if anybody bad. in our audience would give us anything like that, we could we'd hang on to it. Oh yeah, Send I mean, your... at least more than a month. Uh, maybe two. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, okay, so you were you were uh, seeing something you didn't like there. Yeah. Somehow it, that got you this direction. Well, yeah, it was it was just so bad, so bad. I just decided that, you know, I gotta go. I gotta get out of this band. And I'd already always wanted to move to Nashville and play music here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a wider, wider crew of things to do here. And, and play clean as country water here. Yep. Uh, thirteen thousand five hundred sixty-two guitar pickers in Nashville. That's right. Yeah, I might have that number wrong. By the way, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I prayed about it a bunch, and then I remember laying in bed one night, and uh, uh, like my prayer that night was, Lord, if I should, if I need to move to Nashville, why don't you just make it like really obvious? Yeah. Um, and it was like somebody screamed at me with a bullhorn and said, "You need to move to Nashville!" So loudly that I like woke up and looked around and I'm like, "Whoa!" And uh, 
I kept praying about it, and I'd go, Lord, if I'm supposed to move to Nashville, then like make it obvious. And then a truck would buy, drive by that says, beautiful, incredible Nashville, you know. Hmm. And that stuff happened for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I figured, well, I, I, this is starting to get pretty obvious, yeah. you know. And then a friend of mine, uh, he called me up out of the blue and said, hey, you know, I've got this, I've got this, uh, this apartment for you to rent if you want here in Nashville. And mm-hmm. I know that you just been, I know, you know, I know that yeah. you're happy there. I just thought I should call you and offer mm. it to you. So it's like, well, okay, now it's getting pretty obvious. Sure. So, um, so I quit the band and moved here to Nashville. And um, uh, turns out the Lord didn't have music in the plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you met Doctor Future just to sort of wrap this up. You mm-hmm. met Doctor Future at Calvary Chapel Rivergate. Indeed. Indeed. And that's how that's the rest how we, is history. Yep. Well, let, let, let's talk a little bit about your, your spiritual upbringing mm-hmm. where you were raised. Um, growing up in California, you know, a lot of people, especially Christians across the country, uh, tend to see California as, as sort of this godless region mm-hmm. where, where they see New Age spirituality lays on the, on the landscape, uh, cultural landscape real heavily, you mm-hmm. know, from what we see in TV sure. and those of us who know people from California. Uh, you grew up in the San Francisco Berkeley area, as you said, where the New Age movement, in particular, has very strong foundations. Oh yeah. What was the the message that was given to you in society growing up around there, uh, in in the Bay Area, about life in general and, and ideas of spirituality in particular? What was it like in that environment? Well, I mean, I'm not saying that I, I digress here a little bit, defend my homeland. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, Christianity or California is perfect as far as it goes, but. There's definitely... Well, most Californians say their place is perfect. Well, I mean, weather-wise it is. Yeah. Uh, traffic-wise, not so much. But spiritually, uh, I guess the one advantage of growing up there is that I wasn't subject to all of the sort of cultural things, uh, what I would call the cultural inoculation that you tend to see with a lot of folks. Like they, you know, you talk to them and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, man, totally. Like, uh, I go to church, you know, a couple times a year and... Go on Easter and Christmas, and you know that makes me all right mm-hmm. with the Lord. Yeah, and um, I mean, I was it, it was cool because I didn't have any of that background. So, um, yeah, that was that was a positive thing. As far as um, well, yeah, as far as the message that I got when I was when I was growing up, um, it was uh, you know kind of like what you said. It was basically like. Everybody I would meet that was a Christian acted really weird. I remember when I was in, <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I just might as well tell it like it is, um, which is I know not really my style, but <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, I know. <laughs> like I remember I went to this I went to this Sunday school for a while at this uh, this this church where a friend of family friend was the head pastor. Uh, I went to this Sunday school and I walked in and I was like doodling. I was eight or nine years old, and I walk you know the the teacher walks in and. Uh, she looks at my little page. It was like G.I. Joe jumping off a cliff or something. And uh, she looks at it, and she turns her nose up at me, and she's giving me all these weird looks. And uh, she gets up there and starts talking about uh, how there's all these starving people in Africa, and we need to feed them and all of this stuff. And so what are you going to do to feed them? And that's your drawing assignment. She was, like, really intense about it. Right. And uh, so I, I was thinking, like, well, like in, my dad worked for the military, so... Well, like an aircraft carrier, I know is the biggest, like the biggest ships in the world. Mm-hmm. So they can carry like more food than anything. So I started drawing this like aircraft carrier, you know, mm-hmm. 
the little superstructure and everything. And she comes over and grabs it, and she's looking at me, and she goes, what is this? She grabs it out of my hand. I'm like, what is this? And I said, it's like an aircraft carrier. And she just goes on this extended rant about, um, you know, how I wasn't a Christian and all this stuff. And she actually used she the term. She said you weren't a Christian? This is true. And she even used the term war baby. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Berkeley is where you no, were. This was, well, this was the Napa Valley. Napa Valley, okay. Yeah. It was anyway. Yeah, it wasn't really Berkeley, but she, de- yeah. she definitely could have fit into Berkeley. So saying "war baby," she'd probably spit on the floor when she said that there. Well, yeah, she like kicked me and like, yeah. you know, threw yeah. me out. Wow. No. Well, but well, at least that was a good positive introduction to Christianity. Yeah, yeah. The next one I had was uh, when I was fourteen or fifteen. Uh, my family decided we were going to go to church uh, down at the local, like the big Presbyterian church. It was kind mm-hmm. of an old cathedral building with like the really pretty stained glass and everything, and. uh it was super hot outside, and uh, uh, so I put on, like, a nice dress shirt and a pair of casual, you know, dress casual type shorts, mm-hmm. and we jump in the car, and we're driving there, and my dad is, like, furious at me, you know, and I can't figure out what's going on, uh, and so finally I ask him, because I see this, like, smoldering, mm-hmm. the look of death, you know, you know what I'm talking about, uh, and I ask him, and he said, you're dishonoring your mother by wearing shorts, going to church, mm-hmm. and... You know, I said, I thought we were going to church to learn about God. And and he said, he grabs me by the collar and says, look, don't make this any harder for any of, than, it, than it has to be. And so we got in there, and, like, there's other people wearing shorts. Yeah, you mean make it harder, like, we just got to get through this drag and go to church? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, uh, like, that didn't compute with me. And that was kind of like, that was kind of like the thing I would see, you know. Like this Greek dude I knew, I talked to him about going to a Greek Orthodox, his Greek Orthodox church. He said, well, like, what do you guys do? He's like, oh, we know, we do all this stuff. And, like, it's a good time, and, you know, it's a way to preserve our culture. And so, you know, I was like, all right, well, all right, great. Preserve all the cultural thing. Yeah. It's like, cool, man. You know, just from what you've shared so far, I've just three observations. One is, no wonder I represent everything you despise and hate. Because I grew up in a culture where we wore shirt and tie and jacket Thought we were honoring God doing it. I don't, and I don't, and it I don't, still has an influence, some extent on me. Although I've sort of grown, you know, out of some of that, but I still appreciate it. But it is so different from the experience I had. Secondly, I'm surprised that you still had any kind of positive experience. The Lord had to really be after you after that experience. Well, dude, I've got, I've got the, I've got the King experience of them all. When I was in college, mm-hmm. uh, I met this, <laughs> I met this Baptist guy who had, he was like really intense about the Lord. Um, and he had narcolepsy. That was a really weird thing. You'd be talking to him, mm. and he'd like fall asleep, like bad narcolepsy. He'd be like, and we got to like, let me tell you about Jesus, you know, and I got to talk mm-hmm. to you. And he'd be talking, and then he'd be like, <sighs> I'd be like, mm-hmm. John, wake up. And he'd look at you, blink a few times, and just go like on, like right where he left off. It was the weirdest thing. Um, I told him, just to get him like out of my hair, I told him I was a Buddhist. Uh, but that didn't work at all. That made him like more intense. Uh, anyway, so I was walking. I was walking around the college campus one afternoon. Yeah. And he um, he drives up in this big white van, like you know, and mm-hmm. he, like I'm walking down the sidewalk or something. And he says, "Hey, I need some help uh, moving a pool table." And there's this already like a car full of guys in mm-hmm. this in this van. And I said, "Well, uh, all right, you know, pool table, slate, big old piece of slate, it's heavy." Um, he pulls over, and I jump in the van, and I'm we're driving off to somewhere. We pull up into this into this parking lot out in the country of this church, and the, car, the the thing is like full, 
And uh, I was like, hmm, this is a little weird. Why don't they get some of these people to move it? So we get in there. Turns out there's no pool table to move. There's no pool table at all. And he took us to this ultra-charismatic worship service. Oh, okay. So we show up there, and there's people, like, jumping jumping off the stage and, like, yeah. you know, doing spins on the floor and stuff. Yeah, I've been through one of those. Oh, myself. I was like, holy cow. Uh, <laughs> From some guy who doesn't uh, believe anything, doesn't know even the basics of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. This is all insanity. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, these guys are <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, uh, we're coming up here to the end of the show, but... Um, I want our listener. Well, first of all, I know our listeners have uh, have probably learned more about you in the last few minutes mm-hmm. than they did through months and months of listening mm-hmm. to us and little excerpts taken out to understand mm-hmm. what's influenced you. But but today's show was only part of a whole topic of what we're going to cover this week mm-hmm. of how you came to Christ and how you were able to not set your intellectualism at the door, but rather it was a tool. Yeah. That helped you to come by reasoning. The Bible says, come let us reason together. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. If that statement is literal, then you should have no problems looking at the literal truth of the mm-hmm. resurrection. And that's what we're going to talk about this week, right? Yeah, I hope so. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you need to hang with us. This was the uh, laying the groundwork so they understand mm-hmm. your perspective and your influences. I think it's important to know uh, when we get into the next segment, we're going to get deeper into some of the Christian issues in your path. Mm-hmm. And sort of the crisis of faith that led you to this part, and mm-hmm. the critical analysis that you did. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of our listeners out there that are going to relate to what you're going to say. I hope so. So I, I, you all are in for a real treat, but we're going to have to right now bring in Merv as our guide to tell you all how you can contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. we got to call it for a day and pick <laughs> up where we left off on Tuesday. Oh, man. I can't believe everybody's going to hear the story about the hyper-charismatic worship services. Well, you going to elaborate further tomorrow? Uh, maybe. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. Well, we'll see. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, hang with it this week. Um, you're going to get a lot of very useful information. He's going to dump a whole lot of uh, useful information about the gospel and about the resurrection this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe one of the best shows you've ever heard. I hope so. But until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, heart-on-my-sleeve bionic, apparently. Why are you saying that? Oh, because this whole show is about uh, somebody that I highly regard. and uh, Yourself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You know, a humble and contrite heart God will not yeah. despise. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you today. Uh, if you tuned in yesterday with us, 
uh, or if you're listening uh, over the Internet or via iTunes or however, uh, you'll know this is a unique week if you tuned in yesterday. We, we have one of our absolute favorite guests here this week, Tom Bionic, our co-host here. Uh, this well, is something we want to do for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, our, our listeners have demanded to hear more from you mm-hmm. and to hear more of your perspective on things. And this was an opportunity that was taken for you to actually not only share a little bit about your background, what was what was formative mm-hmm. in your coming to Christ, but also we're going to talk about the the intellectual path that that not only you took, mm-hmm. but others can be invited to take sure. to come to the Lord. It wasn't that some super charismatic personality bowled you over and drug you into Christianity. It wasn't just a cultural thing mm-hmm. or family upbringing. You, you actually reasoned, uh, and certainly with yeah. God and the Holy Spirit, but you reasoned into the knowledge of the resurrection, which is going to be the bulk of our show. Mm-hmm. But when we left off yesterday uh, in our discussion, uh, you had talked about some of the experiences where you grew up in uh, North Central California mm-hmm. that uh, were Christian but were an outsider wouldn't have said they wouldn't have been the most positive experiences overall. As an, as by an understatement. Yeah. Um, but in, and feel free to elaborate on that further if you want to. But I also know there, being in that part of the country, there were many other influences too. Sure. And and how did that affect your worldview and thinking, or at least what were you confronted, whether you accepted it or not? Well, one of the things I guess if I had to roll it up into one all all encompassing statement, I would say that uh, the big message was that. Uh, all truth is relative, and that that's got to be your guiding philosophy. Uh, if now, where would you hear that from? Where were the places where you would get that message? Everywhere, everywhere. Home? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not home. There was no real discussion about truth. Mm-hmm. There was there was a lot of pragmatism as yeah, far as home. Yeah. You know, um, but like definitely from all the instructors at UC Santa Cruz, which isn't a surprise. It's like the most liberal college in the world. More than Berkeley? Yeah. Really? Yes, totally. Uh, academically, academically, it's like second to none because it's such a beautiful campus. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. So they have all these people, world-renowned professionals, go there. Um, but the other thing is it's like also the most liberal place in the world. You know what's ironic about that is that also is where Dr. Stan Monteith is doing Radio I Liberty. I was... I know. I think I know. I think I know where he broadcasts from. Really? Yeah. I've been to Santa Cruz a number of times because I yeah. used to go to Monterey every year on the other side of the bay and mm-hmm. would drive up there to get surfing albums. Mm, yeah. uh, since it was the original home of surfing, it's true. Santa Cruz. That's yeah. where it started, from other, what I've heard. Well, other than the Hawaiians, yeah. Well, yeah. And, but a really old amusement park there too. The Big Dipper. In fact, if I remember right, the movie The Lost Boys, I think, my, was one a of my sort of favorite movie. Sort yeah. of based on that. Kind of town. They yeah. change it to like Santa Clara or some kind of name. Uh, yeah, it was based Clarita. on that in, yep. environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you got it set in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Were there other sit- things just in, in the community or other influences that did that? And, and if so, how did they package it? Well, you would, people that, if you ever would talk about truth, like you would, I would say, well, you know, I think that's the truth. And people would look at me and, like, you know, like I had three heads and turned purple or something, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, they just, they wouldn't get it, you know. Um, it was mostly like that. Whenever you would bring up a subject of truth, uh, everybody around me kept saying, well, truth is relative. Like it was a cultural thing. I felt like, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't watch much TV in college, but um, I certainly got it from the instructors. I got it, definitely got it from the society around there. And mm-hmm. the other thing was that, you know, that leads into the all truth is relative is that there is no 
you know, whatever you want to believe about spirituality is fine, but it may not be the, it's A, not the truth, because truth is relative, mm -hmm. and B, um, don't lay whatever you got going on on other people. Well, now, if it was New Age, I thought it was okay to do that, but if it was Christian, that was the one that was the real problem. Well, see, that's the funny thing. It kind of was. It was okay to be like, you know, a dirt-worshipping hippie, right. but if you said, I remember, I remember meeting this girl there, and we talked some. I think she was actually like trying to spread the gospel to me, and I just didn't realize yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and we talked a bunch about like the tr truth and stuff and everything, and um, and you know when she said she was a Christian, I was kind of stunned because mm -hmm. like I didn't, you know, I didn't get that. I didn't get that. And she, in retrospect, I can see in several instances where people kind of like tried to shout her down, which was yeah. at that time my favorite. When, even today, some of my two favorite weapons, unfortunately, ridicule and shouting. Mm -hmm. Which you use regularly, I might add. <laughs> you spare our guest, at least. Uh, I try to. Yeah. I try to. Uh, so, uh, okay, so, so you're immersed in this culture mm -hmm. uh, at this particular time. You're hearing this all around you, but yet... There was something that didn't add up with you. You didn't buy oh, it like yeah. the rest. Which, which to me, your personality seems to show to me you don't buy it anyway. Mm -hmm. Stuff in general, but this in particular, and the fact when you're asking about is there a real objective truth, was something that didn't compute with the people around you. Zero. But that didn't cause you to shelve it. Like, well, gee, there must be something wrong with me. Well, uh, did that just sort of raise your interest or desire? Well, what I, what happened? What what set you on the course? One that. You recognize you weren't accepting the answers they had or non-answers. And secondly, you needed to pursue it. Well, Einstein, actually. Einstein. I would have guessed that. Einstein and, uh, Einstein and Bohr and Schrodinger used to do these things called thought experiments. Um, and what they would do is they would, to illustrate some ideas, set up sort of an experiment in their mind to test some sort of a theory. And that got me thinking about, about all that stuff. And I thought, wow, like... If all truth is really relative, let's take that to an extreme. Well, how come, like, when I don't turn my car on, it doesn't turn into a giant pancake? Or, like, I flip the TV on, it doesn't turn into a giant waffle or something? I mean, it doesn't do that, you know? Yeah, I've asked that same question. I, well, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy <laughs> thought experiment. And the point was is that, uh, at least for physical things, truth is absolutely not relative. So if truth is not relative for, ap for physical things, what else is it not relative for? Uh, and that was the that was the thought that was kind of like percolating in my brain. So you were fighting that, that some people say that all reality or physical reality is an illusion. Mm -hmm. So you and I could be sitting on the couch, and one of you sees the TV as a TV, and the other one could see it as a pancake. Mm -hmm. And who's to say who's right? Uh, and, and you sell that to be sort of nonsense. Yeah, total nonsense. That comes yeah. out of Immanuel Kant's critique of pure reason, who says that the ontological argument doesn't work for anything. The ontological argument for God doesn't work uh, because we can't. We can't prove that we're not all a dream, basically. Mm -hmm. And that just that doesn't make any sense because that makes everything totally meaningless. Further, when you close your eyes and I throw a grape at you or something, you can feel it hit your melon, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's not like... And you didn't even know to perceive it until it hit you. Exactly. So that, that was as good of evidence as I need to know that, mm -hmm. like, the periatheistic idea of, uh, you know, the get rid of the ontological argument was just... Get rid of it. You know that doesn't make any sense. Anybody mm -hmm. who's reasonable uh, will can dispose of that quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So if you accepted that there's absolute truth, which I think to me I agree is mm -hmm. something that will separate you from a large part of particularly New Age type pilgrims, but mm -hmm. 
but mm-hmm. not just them. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going for the search for truth. What direction did that lead you then? It's one thing to know that it may be there. How, where do you start and begin to look? Well, I'll tell you. There was this one comment. I've only heard one other people person say it ever. But I was actually I was actually playing at a playing a gig, and this guy at the record table, having another conversation away from the record table, said it, and he said, and I will never forget it. He said, "All religions say different things and point to themselves as the one true way." Now Aristotelian logic demands that either one is true or none is true. The same the same way someone can either eat a piece of cake or not eat a piece of cake. You know, you can't both eat a piece of cake and not eat a piece of cake. So that's only true if they say they're the only way. In other yes. words, if they're expressing what reality is, mm-hmm. there's only one reality. Yes. Okay. So, and since I had already disposed of the idea that all truth was relative, you know, I heard that statement and like talk about a life-changing statement. It was like somebody I I actually remember my ears ringing a little bit when I heard that and my vision kind of got smaller. Like it was like everything that I had Focused on that one statement. Okay. It was huge. Um, so that led me on this. That led me on this. This. This thing about logic. You know, I mm-hmm. bought every book I could find about logic. I literally bought like really? a stack of ten books on logic, and and started reading them all. You know, like wow, if this is if logic, if, if truth is absolute, not just in a spirit, not just in a physical sense, but in in all senses, like in a spiritual sense, in a metaphysical, in, in a purely metaphysical sense, uh, in, you know, the sense of, like, true love and everything, like, that has severe implications. And 99% of the people, even today, don't understand the implications of truth uh, like that. So I read all these books, and I found out all sorts of cool stuff about truth and logic and stuff like that. Like, in fact, there are two types of truth. You've got, like, ontological truth or ontological logic which is kind of what we talked about with uh, Immanuel Kant and those guys. Uh, the ontological arguments are like, you know, they deal with ap- you know, actual existence. Do things really happen? Uh, originally, they were ideas to, ideas to prove God's existence mm-hmm. um, through just an a priori, uh, an a priori idea uh, to, you know, to prove his existence. Uh, like Descartes claims that he, prov- he proved, uh, like you can... You can prove that God exists because there's no less a contradiction in conceiving a supremely divine being as there is by conceiving of a triangle that doesn't have 180 degree sides. Mm-hmm. And since you can both conceive of a triangle that doesn't have 180 degree sides, you can see you can conceive of a divinely supreme being. So therefore, God has to exist. Um, now, like, I went through all of those arguments. There was a guy named St. Anselm who was the kind of the first dude to do that. Um, and I don't remember his exact argument, but it was something similar. Let me ask you this. Are you going to take some of these things and write on them in detail on your new blog? I just might do that. I just might Put do something that. down because, mm-hmm. you know, in the brevity of radio, it's hard for us. These are pretty heavy-duty things. I'm still mm-hmm. thinking about triangles. But, <laughs> you know, th- these are things that uh, probably with more lengthy discourse and mm-hmm. illustration – could be very instructive for people because so. you put a lot of time and energy in reviewing that kind of thing and it mm-hmm. might make the path a little easier for the people behind you yeah to sort of show where you went yeah. so so if i understand right you were led not only to believe there was absolute truth mm-hmm. but that uh due to logic and reasoning and, and influence of others mm-hmm. you found out that you have all these different religious systems that mm-hmm. are out there 
and because they always say they are the reality, only mm-hmm. one of them can be true or none of them. Yes. So then you begin a testing process. Mm-hmm. Well, testing, and I had to figure out how to test and then began right. the testing process, yeah. Okay. So there was ontological logic, and then there was, like, regular old logic that we think of, like, if this, then that. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. some people call it incorrectly Aristotelian logic. That's not perfectly accurate, but it'll do for the purposes of this discussion. Okay. So all of that plus a bunch of things about illogical thinking, uh, I put together. I felt after I got done studying, I actually felt like I had made like this giant philosophical earth mover, and I was gonna like bulldoze some structures. <laughs> well, that's kind of like that's seriously how I felt. It's like, all right, here comes Islam. Right. Well, speaking of some of these, uh-huh. do, do some come to mind of what your findings were and why you had to dismiss them? What were some of the clinchers for you on why some of these different ones? Sure. Well, Islam. Uh, Islam was one of the ones I first kind of looked at. You've got, like, Muhammad, the desert man, mean-looking guys with big swords. Uh, I got this book. I read the Quran a little bit, and I got this book uh, that everybody said was, like, the book for um, uh, learning about different the popular ideas of it was accepted pretty much by the Sunnis and accepted by both the Shiites. Okay. So I got this book called Islamic Guidelines for Individual and Social Reform by Muhammad bin Hamil al Zino. And uh, there was like so much stuff there that that violated um, that violated mm-hmm. logic that was just crazy. I'll give you I'll give you at least yeah, one. Give an example. Um, this was right in the opening preamble of the book. Islam unifies all the previous religions into one and does not separate them. It believes in the all it believes in all the messengers sent by Allah to guide mankind, the last of whom was Muhammad. He came with a religion that superseded the past religions. He was sent by Allah to the human whole humanity to save them from deviations in their religions and to guide them to the right path of Islam. Now, if all of these other religions God gave and then got corrupted, like how come how do I know that Islam isn't corrupt? Right. Right, which became super important because I looked into the into copyist error of the um, of the Quran, and they just believe that Allah is handling it. Literally, that mm-hmm. is their that is their sole argument. Mm-hmm. Like, but this story is completely taken, basically, on the testimony of Muhammad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. against the testimony of all the hundreds of people before and the the writings mm-hmm. of the Old Testament or other yeah absolutely and and you can't prove that the Quran has not been doctored severely. In fact, if you're, if you're even remotely objective, you can prove pretty conclusively that it's been doctored. There's all sorts of mm. mythical things in there, like uh, 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 Muhammad rides to, rides to the moon and back on a magic carpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and even, even some of the more moderate Islamic apologists go, okay, well, that's just a doctored story. That's not really true. Mm-hmm. So then they would be basically contradicting or breaking the whole very reason their religion existed mm-hmm. was to have a reliable record, unlike what they said mm-hmm. the past. Further, it's a works-based thing. Uh, like one of the things they talked about in that book is uh, if you go and you pr- if you go and you do an abolition, abolition, which is a specific type of bath, and then you mm-hmm. go to the prayer thing, and then you listen intently to the prayer, uh, the sermon there, and then you go and you pray, and then you do all of this stuff, like really feeling it with sincerity, mm-hmm. uh, then all of your sins are forgiven from the past Friday to the next Friday. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. That seems to be like a God that's malicious, you know, in that he's like you're constantly you're constantly petitioning him for mercy, constantly petitioning mm-hmm. him for mercy. And that sounds to me like 
uh, it just sounded like it was mm-hmm. a malicious idea of God without well, love. The, the the question, though, is not whether it's malicious or whether it's unsavory or not, but whether it was true. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and what if God was malicious, if that sure. was his nature? Sure. Then you'd have to accept it if that was true, and you do what you can for mm-hmm. it. But evidently, not only was it unsavory, but it just didn't add up well, as well to you. Is that right? Well, the idea, is the idea of a God uh, sort of presupposes that he's perfect. And it seems it seems really odd to me that a god would be malicious, okay. uh, because malicious somebody who's malicious tends to be uh, tends to not be logical about things. Uh, so I just went like this is this is too weird. Plus all the mm. o- the obvious stuff about the copyist error mm-hmm. was just right. like because you know some people think Christianity just features a malicious god that wants to send people to hell. Well and. Uh, you know, and we've talked about that, and that was one of the things that I had a, a hard time with uh, first coming to Christianity. But, you know, as we're going to get to hopefully here, right, like right. looking into the resurrection, like if you can buy the resurrection, then everything else is sort of, I don't want to say window dressing, it's important, but the resurrection, sure. God hinges everything on sure. the resurrection. Right. Um, well, let me ask for just one more example, if okay. you have anything to add to it, because I want to then focus on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um what about Eastern religions? That was obviously something very popular, I mm-hmm. would think, in where, where you lived and in the New Age movement, and it has a big resurgence. Mm-hmm. Anything you looking at Hinduism or Buddhism Man, well, or anything? We could do a whole show on all the stuff that okay. I found out about all the other religions. Um, I looked at I looked at uh, both Buddhism and Taoism and Confucianism. Let's take uh, let's take Taoism uh, or Taoism. Mm-hmm. I I got a couple books on it, and I tell you, I couldn't get through the first one because the dude halfway through the book, the guy says. Um, ultimately, I can't really explain what Taoism is all about because it, nobody really is sure mm-hmm. what it's about. And it's like, well, okay. Uh, further, you start mm-hmm. looking into their pantheon of gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always a little bit suspicious about like the pagan things because right. there's certain logical flaws with that. Um, but like it turns out a lot of the gods, well, not a lot, but some of the gods... Uh, like uh, Guan Yu is a is a Taoist god. Uh, he's actually, if you go right back to the source of Guan Yu, he's actually just an exalted human. And the the writers admit that that he's just an exalted human that you're praying to. So I was hmm. like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody's sure how this is going. It's it was like a religion about something about something that somebody else said, and you could demote, you could also promote and demote gods. You know, like if you didn't like what God what a God was doing, you could go, I'm not praying to you anymore. So really, aren't you then the God? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, God would talk in, in the Old Testament about making your gods of wood. You would carve it, mm-hmm. and then you'd throw it on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And God says, don't you want a God that can carry you instead mm-hmm. of one that you carry around? Yeah. And so like, now, was Hinduism and Buddhism have very similar mm-hmm. problems? Well, um, you know, certainly there were... There's obvious problems with the pantheistic idea, um, but the Buddhist thing was actually sort of similar to the to the Taoist in that, uh, like, I would go and I was actually sort of a practicing Buddhist for a while, you know, hmm. meditation stuff like turn, you know, it turns the turns the volume down on stuff, turn mm-hmm. you know life, um, but like when you would start reading about this stuff, the way it was practiced in Tibet, it was nothing it was nothing but an animist religion. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a book called Mystery, Magic and Mystery in Tibet about this lady who goes in the early 50s, um, uh, maybe even earlier than that. I might have been in the 40s. Uh, goes to Tibet 
and you know wants to learn about like real Buddhism, like mm-hmm. the real stuff. You know, she's looking for the hard stuff. Right. She goes there and she records all of this craziness. You know, the book from like the fifth page to just about the end is is these people who are supposed to be totally enlightened mm-hmm. and are just nuts. Here's one. Here's one quick example. Uh, a newly deceased person. Uh, uh, a Buddhist monk who's of a very high authority can go to this thing and chant uh, a specific prayer. And uh, he walks into the room and starts chanting after doing some you know, preliminary mm-hmm. work around the house. Uh, um, he, he comes in and starts chanting, and he slowly approaches the body, getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer, until he's laying on top of this body, which is laid out sort of spread eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets on top of the body, and he's chanting. And he literally stays there and chants this prayer into this guy's mouth for a day or so and uh at at some point um the body starts to reanimate it actually starts mm-hmm. like jiggling around and dancing and stuff mm-hmm. and it gets to the point where this this person this buddhist monk has to like get it in like a bear hug and hold it and at some point the corpse will open its mouth uh, according to mm-hmm. this lady at some point the corpse will open its mouth, and she has to reach down. You have to reach down. You're looking like eye-to-eye mm-hmm. eye to this yeah. thing. Reach down and bite its tongue out, and then you spit it out on the ground, and then the thing, you know, the the corpse dies again, I guess for lack of a better word. And then you have this tongue, and that tongue is like the ultimate magical talisman for Tibetan Buddhists. And I read that, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This doesn't, I mean, that... You know, like I said, there are certain logical mm-hmm. problems with paganism, but that doesn't make any sense either. You know, uh, further sounds I, like a witch doctor and voodoo. Basically. Exactly, exactly, and that's exactly what it sort of boiled down to. And this is the the religion Richard Gere practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, there's obviously logical flaws with the fact that you can like reanimate corpses and stuff uh, for your own personal gain. Um, you know. Obviously, there was this whole thing about, you know, once you started looking behind the scenes, like they didn't, these people who were supposed to be super enlightened didn't walk it like they talk it. Uh, and, and none of this has anything to do, anything with meaning of life, giving life any kind no. of meaning or purpose, does and, it? And that was the biggest, I mean, that's the biggest thing, obviously. You, you know, uh, I didn't want to get into that because it's it can be a whole show unto itself mm-hmm. talking right. about the problems of paganism. Um, but that's the that's the thing. with If you have a pantheon of gods... Then you don't, you're not going to have meaning because you're not sure which god to pray to. Uh, they fight each other. Yeah, and they're not, and they're not absolute. They're not omniscient. Mm-hmm. They can't be. You can't have a perfect oneness with many gods. So none of that sort of stuff was. I was always, I was always pretty suspicious mm-hmm. about it. And then, so since they're in conflict, they probably can't settle on an ultimate meaning in life. Mm-hmm. So what good is it going to them to find the source of it? Well, that was the whole thing, you know. Mm. Um, I then moved to Judaism, and Judaism was cool, but it seemed like, you know, they were, like, serious. I thought, wow, this is, mm-hmm. like, cool. Um, maybe this is it. And then I looked into Judaism, but I had to discard that because I started looking at some of the stuff that was written in, especially in things that were uh, pre-resurrection, and that should at the time mm-hmm. have given me a clue, um, like pre-resurrection stuff where they would talk about uh, Babylonian Sanhedrin two actually talks about, uh, like, the two kinds of people that are... are um, this is Talmud? The Talmud, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Babylonian Talmud, uh, Sanhedrin II, the Babylonian Talmud, 
um, would talk about the fact that, like, really, exor- uh, exorcism, resurrection, mm-hmm. and the Torah being divinely inspired were the two things that you had to believe as, mm. um, uh, like, right, right, you know, a, right. A, a, a biblical view hmm. at the time. And then that all changed after 70 A.D., so. I hate to interrupt you in the middle of this. We're at the end of our show. Okay. But if you want to say a little bit more about Judaism, if you desire, if not, if not, we can move right into yeah. Jesus Christ and his personal work. But we got to call it a day I for like today. I like Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but we'll get on to Jesus tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you found this interesting and instructive. Uh, we're going in a direction and a purpose with this that Brother Tom's prepared here. Mm-hmm. So but we're going to call it a day. And first of all, we need to call Mervyn and tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got just a few seconds. Okay. Any last words? Jesus tomorrow, baby. Come back, hear about Jesus tomorrow, yeah. what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And, and they've seen how you've gotten there, and they're going to find out how you looked eye-to-eye into Jesus and sort of worked out your own salvation, as the Bible says. Yeah, I guess that's kind of how it happened. Okay. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to go. I uh, hope you're enjoying this. Until tomorrow, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Fired Up Bionic. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming you're fired up because we're in the middle of recording mm-hmm. our interview with you mm-hmm. as our special guest this week, Tom Bionic, mm-hmm. talking uh, a topic that I'm calling a testimony of an intellectual path to a risen Lord, which is really an expose. I'm just calling of, it fun because it's like, I feel like we could do a show, an entire show on any one of these questions. Mm-hmm. Well. The time may come for it. And we'd like to have li- uh, feedback from our listeners. I, again, this is different than our normal show, particularly mm-hmm. some of you new folks just tuning in. We normally will have a, a guest who's a specialist in this or that field or, mm-hmm. or author uh, that we have on Monday through Thursday on our show, and then we do our, our Friday news review. Mm-hmm. But this week we're doing something a little different. We're, we're setting aside some time for you to let our listeners know the path that you've taken, Tom, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very different path than I've had. Very different. Uh, to come to the Lord. Uh, fascinating, though, um, how you came with sort of a clean slate um, virtually. I mean, you had influences in your early life. Sure. But um, you had to, as the Bible say again, worked out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. You had to come to a clear understanding of who the Lord was yourself. Mm-hmm. And taking an intellectual approach was not an impediment to you, but it helped facilitate. Jesus said, like, I am the way and the truth and the life. Mm-hmm. If we were to take that statement as a literal statement, then... He should have no problem with truth. So you you didn't have to set your brain or your intellectual academic thinking aside. Mm-hmm. Some people think you do. That all none of that stuff is of the mind. It's not going to help you to Christ. But no. that's not your case. It actually that, led yeah. the path. 
Absolutely. for you to come to the Absolutely. Lord. Absolutely. Well, we're 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 at a stage now where we've talked the, the first two days this week mm-hmm. about uh, your upbringing, the influences in your region there in California mm-hmm. where you're raised, uh, and the fact that you you basically were led to a crisis point in your life where you had to decide. One, you accepted and believed that there was real truth, mm-hmm. uh, and and actually philosophy helped you in that somewhat point because yeah. you were being very honest, which a lot of people aren't with philosophy. They learn it and then they then they betray it. Yeah. Um, but then you, you began using a barometer to measure the different belief systems in the world to find out which mm-hmm. ones were consistent, did not have contradictions, mm-hmm. uh, were not assistance to find absolute truth. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked at the end of the last show about all sorts of different belief systems. I don't know if you have anything else to add to Judaism, but if not, we're left with one major belief system, and that is Christianity mm-hmm. and the person and work of Jesus Christ in particular, which is the center point of yeah. Christianity. Mm-hmm. So what was it about Jesus and his character that made you think more deeply about the claims of Christianity? Uh, man, well... I mean, we could get, we could obviously get into all sorts of the crazy stuff about the Bible and all of that stuff. But Jesus, in particular, um, like you would read about him, and I would, it was just like, gosh, you know, it was obvious that he thought he was perfect. Like, you know, you would talk to him, and mm-hmm. or well, talk to him. You would read about him, and everything he did and said was perfect. Um, now, in today's in today's world. It's a huge turnoff to meet somebody who thinks they're perfect. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Um, it's like it's this conscious, self-righteous, perfectionist image. Uh, it's just not something we respond to, you know. And that's yet that's exactly how Jesus was recorded to record as a living bo- embodiment of perfection. Um, and it wasn't just you know we have this view of him like you know like nicely coiffed hair and a neatly mm-hmm. trimmed beard and you know the wind blowing through us. Curls, you know, right. kind of like an 80 stage metal meets Fabio kind of way. Um, but that's not, that wasn't the view at all. That's not the right view at all. You know, he was, he was despised. He was, you know, a man of sorrow and we should have no, um, oh, what is the, what is the one? We should have no, uh, um, um, oh, I can't he remember. Was a, he, he wasn't appealing physically. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the whole, that's the whole point. There's a specific mm-hmm. prophecy that right. is not on the tip of my tongue. Um, he was, you know, I don't want to say like kind of an ugly dude because we don't know how he looked, but the point was is that, you know, he wasn't beautiful. There was something intrinsic in his nature that made the people that followed him look past the fact that he was, right. he Wh- was, which had a point because if he was real slick, mm-hmm. people could say, oh, they just fell for a handsome looking guy. You're right. And they just fell for a guy that was real polished and, mm-hmm. and had style Absolutely. points. And that is not what, what he was. No, not at all. There was something intrinsic about his nature that made people understand that he was perfect. Like, they didn't question him. He would change, he would do things like change the law. You know, uh, behold, the law says, but I say unto you. And this is a law that has been passed on. You know, that's like the sacred thing, mm-hmm. you know, for the Judaism of the time. Having already looked at Judaism, mm-hmm. I knew that the law was like the end all mm-hmm. be all. You know, but, he, but now in your show, you talked in the last show, you talked about the Talmud, mm-hmm. which for for practicing Jews became almost sort of foreshadowing over the Torah mm-hmm. is a ruling of daily faith and practice mm-hmm. in the Talmud. And uh, most of his comments that were indicative against them were, were sort of like the Talmud type teaching that he spoke against, mm-hmm. like. You know, you can't do this or that on the Sabbath. You can't heal. You can only carry a grape so far. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's where he spoke against mostly, correct? 
I mean, wasn't yeah. he bringing them back, sort of almost back to the roots of what his father intended? Well, absolutely. It was always it was always like this heart thing with him. You know, it wasn't necessarily about following rules or about how much you gave. It was about what was like what was in your heart. The uh, the psychological the psychological character of how you were before God changed fundamentally with him. With Judaism, it was always about. Uh, you know, for lack of a better word, that's not quite right. But lack of a better lack of a better word, it was sort of a works-based thing. You do all these sacrifices and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it was a covenant. You're, you're good. Yeah, yeah. you're good. Yeah. With Jesus, he flips this. It's you know, he flips this thing out. It's fundamentally what's in your heart flows out. You know, and and that is the way that God wants you to look at reality. You know, it's not it's not like it. Yeah, it's not like the Pharisees who was always trying to, um, you know. They're always trying to – it was like self-interested, you know, whereas Jesus was mm-hmm. other-centered. And he was always chastising the religious leaders for being, you know, self-interested, while he was always going to the sinners and the tax collectors and the publicans and people that were deemed unclean. My favorite miracle in the Bible these days, this last week or so, is when God walks up to the beggar and, like, heals him, uh, puts his hand on him and says, mm-hmm. you know, be healed. Uh, because – in that day, it was like there was all sorts of laws about like if you were a if you were a leper, um, you'd have to walk and say, "I'm unclean. I'm a leper. I'm unclean. I'm a leper." So people knew to stay like 30 yards away from you. And by violating that, you know, he was he was making this incredible act of self-sacrifice because he would have been not only diseased had he caught mm-hmm. leprosy, but um, he would have been unclean mm-hmm. for like a month and nobody could have mm-hmm. been around him. But he didn't do that. Mm-hmm. He just went. You know, be healed. But it also showed his authority and control, right? Because he said, yes. no disease, basically, is going mm-hmm. to impede me from what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I created this world. I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Disease can't mm-hmm. restrict me from what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. which which was not true of us as individuals. No. But that's because he was different. Yeah, he had the sense of moral perfection that I think a lot of people miss when they read the mm-hmm. read the Gospels. I mean, they get it intrinsically, but they, mm-hmm. they can't ever, I don't know, I don't, say it. Um, but we, like, I got it. I don't know. I, it just seemed obvious that he had this sense of moral perfection, uh, and no sense of moral inadequacy. Um, and that was like, wow, this guy really thinks that he's God. Whoever he is, mm-hmm. he really thinks that he's God. Mm-hmm. Um, he also seated all authority in himself related to that. You know, like he was always saying, you build on, like, you know, you build on me, you build on what I say, you build on the rock, you build on anything else, you build on sand. You know, and mm-hmm. then of course the the phrase that is like practically a life verse for me, um, you know, uh, um, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You know, I am the way. That means that something there's something intrinsic about His way mm-hmm. that is correct, uh, and everything else is not. I am the truth. That means you look to me. That meant like look, examine me. It really is the truth. Mm-hmm. I really am the risen Messiah. You know. Um, and that's it, you know. And then, of course, I am I am the life, you know, meaning, at least to me at the time, like, whatever you've got going on is secondary to what I bring you, you know. And wouldn't those three things be the summation of everything that matters in life? Mm-hmm. One thing is you have to know the direction to mm-hmm. where to go in life in a way that's meaningful. You have to know what is meaningful, what is reality or mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have a direction to go. You, life is not static. We cannot be happy if we just where we are. Mm-hmm. We want to be heading somewhere mm-hmm. towards some positive goal. 
we want to know what reality is and have it a trustworthy way. Mm-hmm. And then even with all those kind of things, it doesn't invoke a life. In other words, a fulfillment, mm-hmm. a, a joy, a completeness of life that actually is enjoyed in the here and now. Mm-hmm. And he says he's a life as well. So he mm-hmm. gives us all the all the aspects of the central part of what we are on the inside mm-hmm. that needs to make life complete. Exactly. And the sum total of meaning. Exactly, exactly. So and this was something this was something that none of the other like they would say that. Uh, all the other religious systems would sort of say that and then it would get lost in the shuffle. It's like, mm-hmm. well, okay, when you're really, really spiritual, you'll get it. You know, if you really Islam would tell you, Okay, we're all of those things, but first you have to really, really, really like do all these things, like grow a beard a certain length and wear the dish dasha and uh, you know, if you're if you're a certain you know kinds of moderate, you have to wear the kunjar and all this other stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, Judaism would be kind of the same way, you know, like yeah, we're all of those things, but first you have to really, really, really follow the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Taoists, as far as I could tell, would say something like, "Well, you just have to eat like boiled frog's toes or something." <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, they have this whole yeah. thing where diet is part of their spirituality. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling if you're feeling out of sorts, you can go and eat these weird cuisines. And they're mm-hmm. supposed to make him more holy or something. It's uh, whereas Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that that, that makes him clean, but mm-hmm. it's what proceeds out of him. And in fact, unclean. he would. And in fact, he said one of the things that stuck with me is he he chastised the religious leaders of the day as being white and sepulchers, um, mm-hmm. like the stuff that was on the inside was dead, whereas the outside mm-hmm. looked look you know mm-hmm. looked good. And that seemed to me like something about that like really resonated. You know, that was definitely in line with his message. Well, and, and compared to some of us in our audience who were like me, who were grown up in such an overwhelming Christian culture where everybody just assumed it was true, mm-hmm. where you just had it told to you from day one that that's what reality was, you had almost as an objective environment as possible to look at it without any prior buy-in mm-hmm. to the claims of Jesus. Yeah. You just took it as face value. You read it, and you said, hmm, is, is this really consistent with what I know? Mm-hmm. Uh, is is truth in the mm-hmm. tools that you had academically and under, otherwise to understand it. Mm-hmm. Now, regardless of the difference in in Jesus mm-hmm. and, and his teaching and the the fact that you were shocked by his teaching as opposed to these other teachers, the one other huge difference between this and all the other belief systems is the concept of the resurrection, mm-hmm. which is sort of the pinnacle where we're going to here. Yeah. Um, you you said that you believe you've told me that that you came to the conclusion that the resurrection held the key to uh, it, that he was either the only way to a relationship with God or to completely disproving the claims of Christianity. Yeah. So basically it forced a decision. <laughs> either it all was a big lie or mm-hmm. it was unavoidable and it was legit. Yes. So once you got to that point and recognized that it all hung on the resurrection, what did you do then? Gosh, man. Well, um, that's one of those things It's like, at this point, it was sort of obvious to me, uh, but, like, obvious in a way that, like, you know, standing over a cliff is obvious that, you know, if you jump, you're going to fall. Um, it was, it, I felt like at the time that it had those kind of implications, and it turns out it did, but, you know, mm-hmm. praise the Lord that I needed to jump. Um, the idea is that you don't, with a, with a question like that, you don't just sort of, like, think about it. Mm-hmm. You don't think a bunch about it. You go and you, like, start to investigate it. And can you explain why why it is such a big deal that it, it was the big outstanding thing? Jesus for you from yeah, your background. Yeah. Well, first, like we said, you know, he said he was perfect. 
He ceded all authority in himself. He even goes to, so far as to put himself as, at the center of the religious universe. He, you know, again, behold, I am the way and the truth and the life. Mm-hmm. Like, it's me. The only way you're getting to God is through me. Um, and, you know, you can go and, you know, uh, we could do a whole other show on this, but you can go and investigate the claims about Jesus actually living and come to anybody anybody but a narrow-minded, somebody who's exhibiting evasive mm-hmm. agnosticism will come to the conclusion that Jesus really did live and these things really did happen. Because you could go and, like, at the time you could go and look and if the disciples are preaching about this stuff, you know, and, and they were, uh, you can prove that. That's even easier to prove. You can go and you can look. And if they're preaching all this stuff about a risen Messiah, all you have to do is go and look and see if there's not a body in the tomb. But the whole fact of the matter that they, we lost the body, to, we lost the tomb to history, uh, implies that it's not there, you know. Anyway, um, the other thing that I saw was people that, like, they were, they would always, they would just think about this and then they would walk away. It's like, well, I thought about it a bunch and it doesn't seem correct. It's like, well, you don't do that. <laughs> you don't get to mm-hmm. do that unless you're going to be intellectually dishonest. Um, it was always this intellectual thing, like it can occur because it didn't occur. And so anybody who said that was lying. So uh, if it doesn't, then, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. not interested, you know. Um but, you know, like if you can agree that like Jesus lived, um, if you can agree that, you know, he was indeed crucified, that he was that he was considered dead, that he was buried in a known accessible tomb, that he was preach raised, all of this stuff, uh, the Jewish leaders who instigated the crucifixion were more, in, you know, obviously they would be more in, uh, interested in, mm-hmm. you know, in disproving the resurrection, um, that the disciples were were persecuted and... Um, of course, let us also assume that the tomb was empty. Um, you can look at all those things, and those are all like fairly easy to prove. If you take those logical, like all of that, mm-hmm. the logical stuff uh, that we talked briefly, I don't know, Monday mm-hmm. or Tuesday, who knows when it was. And that's like one forever. good thing about the physical space, mm-hmm. because with logic, it allows you to test it mm-hmm. when it's physical. It also allows the scientist to use a, a scientific method of mm-hmm. observation and conclusion so, unlike the Gnostics or other people in similar faiths like that that spiritualize everything, mm-hmm. that says the Christ consciousness came on Jesus and then it left, and all these events were only spiritual in nature, there's no way to provide any kind of verification to people like us who are trapped in a physical body. Mm-hmm. But Christianity gives us a time and a place. Yes. Just like a private investigator would look at a scene of a crime. They need, they need to place a body at a time and a place, mm-hmm. motives, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we're, because we're trapped in time and space, mm-hmm. in the physical world. God gives us, us that through Christianity, correct? God gave us that through Jesus. He, you know, Jesus came and saw and taught a lot of things. And you can argue, I guess, over the meaning of this particular verse and that particular verse. But Jesus said that there was something wrong with the world. Uh, I liken it to like, like a cross between like a spiritual Chernobyl and a spiritual Third World War. You know, uh, now that I'm a Christian, uh, like, and that was it, you know, and we would, you know, we're in this, there's something wrong, like radically wrong with this world. And he's coming here and he has to die for uh, a ransom. And when he says ransom, they understood what he was meaning. It was like a ransom Mm -hmm. that there's some error and some debt has got to be paid. Uh, Now that, that really turns off a lot of people though, right? Don't they turn away a lot of times when they see that 
somebody has to pay a price. You're, the the bloody part of sure, Christianity sure, or even but the Judaism. Whole, the whole point is is you can go and you can take your wooden gods that you sort of make up that are not omniscient and perfect, uh, and then a price doesn't have to be paid. But if God is perfect, omniscient, mm-hmm. um, there's uh, there's a couple other things. Basically, if God is perfect, then you can't violate his perfect sense of justice. Mm-hmm. You can't violate that perfection and then go, you know, he can provide mercy on you in any way he mm-hmm. sees fit. But if he really is perfect, there's a reason why he does mercy and a reason mm-hmm. not, you know. Uh, so Would it not also be true that um, if there was no judgment and penalty to be paid, that life would definitely then be meaningless because there would be no cause and effect? In other words, if you do things that are bad to how the universe was established to run mm-hmm. and there's no consequence to it, then there's no incentive or motivation to do the right things. Sure. And since there's no outcome, there's no meaning which choice you have. Yeah. The choice of the A or B in the path has no meaning whatsoever mm-hmm. if the end game is the same. So then you're, yeah, if you go that way, um, that way is actually, I didn't kind of didn't want to go that way because you can go either pantheism, you can say, okay, well, God really, he is in the universe, but he doesn't have anything to do and he's, you know, worried about like holding up the sun or something. Mm-hmm. And then you have to shoot that, the pantheist arguments mm-hmm. down. Um but yeah, that you're right. You're totally right. You know. But you haven't solved the meaning problem if there's no consequence for the wrong things that mm-hmm. we do. Yeah, there either you're there, back to meaningless. There either is some sort of objective standard, and there is meaning, or you know, God is either God a then God either doesn't exist, or he's a, a God that's not involved in the universe. Pantheism or panentheism or any of those other weird theism words. That uh, mm-hmm. you know, make me sound smart. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you're confronted with Christianity, and let, let me ask you something mm-hmm. about the time and the place, mm-hmm. and about you know, we, we don't have the documents now that were original ones written at the time. They've been mm-hmm. copied a couple times. We have them. Uh, you know, we, you and I have had different trainings and things shown the remarkable mm-hmm. accuracy of the books that we have. Mm-hmm. But if somehow, as as is taught now, Dan Brown and the books are out now of mm-hmm. that. Somehow some guys conspired and got together and just said Jesus resurrected. Sometime later. Could have been generations later. Mm-hmm. If the story suddenly changed overnight from one that he was just a great teacher, died a normal death, and the next day his disciples say, no, he resurrected from the dead, mm-hmm. would not there have been an incredible clamor in the ancient world of saying, what are you making up here? We we knew that he was just it was taught all along he was a great teacher, unless it was taught from the very beginning yeah. at the time it happened. You're right. Well, that's, that's one of the Just thinking about logic. You yeah. Know. Uh, from the generational standpoint, uh, I love when people ask me this um, because I just—it's almost like a reflexive action. I don't even know that I'm saying it. They go, "Well, we don't have any really full manuscripts until about the second or third generation," and I always reply, "What about Tatian's Diatessaron?" And they go, "What?" Uh, and I said, "Tatian's Diatessaron. He took a harmony of the Gospels and uh, wrote, took all the four Gospels together, compressed them into one singular book." So there was no kind of like overlapping. He would like if Mark and John recorded the same mm-hmm. miracle, he, right. would, he would put them in the same thing. Uh, we have surviving copies of the book. Uh, and the only thing that isn't in one book isn't in Tatian's Diatessaron that isn't the Gospels are the genealogies. And that book was written no later than 152 A.D. So that that destroys wow. any idea of, you know, these all this fuzzy old, you know, well, I say old, mm-hmm. uh, fuzzy, fuzzy German scholarship talking about. Well, we don't really know when the, 
this was written and that was written. It could have been like 200 A.D. or mm-hmm. all this other stuff, and they were kind of making it up as they went along. You can't do that if Tatian's diatessaron exists, and it does. Mm. Uh, as far as as far as the guys um, as far as the guys making up the stories, making up the claim, and then coming forward with the idea that the um, that there was a body, you know, mm-hmm. that, like we made this up, and then right. you know, well, thousands of people saw what was going on. Uh, thousands of people of uh, the people in Jerusalem at that time are going to be very very religious because it's the day of Passover when all able-bodied Jews have to be in Jerusalem, right? So they start preaching this new God. All they have to do, the Romans, the Jews, anybody who doesn't agree with them, all they have to do is go to the garden tomb and go, look, mm-hmm. there's a dead guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's nowhere, nowhere that we have recorded except for a, per, uh, a piece that is purposely purposeful satire uh, by Gamaliel mm-hmm. um, that any of that is ridiculed. You know, like hmm. the actual events are not ridiculed. Well, what's funny is if it's the same Gamaliel I'm thinking of, his star student was Paul, mm-hmm. became the Apostle Paul. You were right. He was the staunchest supporter of yep. Christianity, mm-hmm. and it says that he was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. Yep, that is exactly the same Gamaliel. Um, and again, you know, that's that even goes to, like, the historicity of the Bible. I mean, we could do just a show. I could just ramble on. You could. I feel like you could ask me one question, and I could just go. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not getting too crazy. But well, you're doing you're doing pretty good a job at it right now. Actually, we're coming up right to the end of our mm-hmm. show, and I wanted to get into uh, something that you've mentioned about um, being able to reduce the idea of a risen Messiah to eight possible explanations. Mm-hmm. But I hate to get started in that in in one minute's time. Right. Is there anything that you can lead us up to that question for tomorrow's show? Yes. Uh, um, what what should we chew on uh, today, waiting for tomorrow? Well, all right. Leading up to that. So there were. If the basic ground rules for all of this stuff is that there are eight provable facts that you can look into. And okay. I saw this. I actually saw this. Uh, now, now, you only have less than a minute or okay. about a minute, so I'm I don't want you to get into them. But I'm just going to give you the okay. facts in a list. Okay. Um, I actually heard Gene Scott do this, you know, the crazy with the crazy hats and the goofy yeah. glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of codified my thinking, so I want to give him a little bit of credit about, about this stuff. Okay. Well, uh, you've got less than right. you got 30 seconds. All right. Here we go. Fact one. Jesus lived. Can prove it. Uh, fact two, that he was crucified at the instigation of certain Jewish leaders. Fact three, he was considered dead. He was buried in a known accessible tomb. He was then preached raised uh, that the Jewish leaders were more interested in disproving the resurrection. Uh, the disciples were persecuted because of it. And then finally, the tomb was empty. Okay. And you're going to elaborate on those tomorrow? Uh, we can, or we can just we can accept those as the ground rules for debate, or we and we can move on to uh, um, theories. Well, tomorrow will be our final segment, so uh, I'll let you stew on that. Ladies and gentlemen, chew on this a little bit. Uh, We're going even deeper tomorrow. Uh, We're crescendoing, so come back tomorrow. But we need to to let Merv come in here and uh, tell you all how you can contact us. Maybe tell us what you think about this show. And uh, let us know. (laughs) Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week.
during the radio broadcast. Okay. Sorry. Now, do we have to pay ASCAP for that? Uh, no, piece? because it was less than it was less than four meters of music. Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying yeah. that. And it was your own unique composition. Yeah. Not that well, there too. was not that there was anything actual there. It was something that I wrote completely originally, and you know. I call it the uh, ode. You remember to God is listening. I call it ode to future. <laughs> well, we got to go. Uh, okay. Tomorrow we're going to have a crescendo uh, of our discussion this week with our own Tom Bionic. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, super fired up, hardly can't stand to sit in my seat bionic. You're just a dynamo, aren't you? Uh, I don't exhibit electromagnetic characteristics, but yes. You know, this week, you know, I, I entitled it a testimony of an intellectual path there is in Lord, mm-hmm. but should have just called it Tom Bionic Unleashed. <laughs> a night of the bionic with Tom. But we've had, we've had... Uh, all bionic, all the time. Uh, talking about the progression of your faith and your walk. A lot of people mm-hmm. email us and said, we love your guests you have every week. You have some very compelling guests. Mm-hmm. But we'd like to hear you all talk in greater depth. And particularly well, they like to hear. People. Well, yeah. <laughs> but they really would like to hear more about um, your perspective because they only get little snippets of it. Uh-huh. And uh, you are also feeling a little burden to sort of lay out on the table where you've come from in your life. People know where it is. Mm-hmm. The, the thinking that you've come through and your very unique path to Christ mm-hmm. and that it wasn't something inherited or hand, handed down to you. Mm-hmm. It was something you worked out. Yeah, uh, my parents think I'm a nut. Using an election, do they? Yeah, yeah. Although, just like your I parents? Did, well, most people. Okay. That, like from like, like in this room. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, but my parents, uh, my parents thought I was crazy. I want to tell this. My parents thought I was crazy for a long time, uh, but then one day my mom called me up and she says, "I want to get baptized," and that just mm-hmm. that like blew me away, you know. So I can I'm still working on the to other answer parent. to prayer. Yeah. Well, um, pray for Tom Bionic's dad if you feel like it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I know I trust that they're going to do that. I hope because so. Because we get emails from our Futurians out there who are very faithful in doing that. And mm-hmm. please pray for his father. We pray for a miracle. Yeah. We pray for a miracle in the spiritual realms. Yeah. Um, this week, in our discussions this week, uh, culminating in today, mm-hmm. um, you, you talked about your search, uh, that you became convinced that there was absolute truth mm-hmm. from your study, your study of the philosophers, people who denied it were of no use to you as far as finding out what it was. The ultimate in foolishness. You did a very fair assessment across the table of the different world systems of religion, found what their contradictions were, Mm -hmm. what did not fit the bill of absolute truth. Mm -hmm. Um, You found something unique about Christianity and particularly about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And then toward the end of yesterday's show, you found that the resurrection is what it all boiled down to. Yes. That either it was all for real or it was mm-hmm. all a big farce based upon whether the, the resurrection was real mm-hmm. and was as was described. Yeah. We gave a little discussion briefly about um, why we should think it was real mm-hmm. and, and, and some things. And I, I want to sort of pick up there where we left off. You mm-hmm. left us with a little teaser yesterday mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the show where you talked about uh, being able to reduce the idea of a risen Messiah to eight possible explanations. Mm-hmm. And so if you feel free to elaborate on that, do so. Mm-hmm. But but within those theories you shared with us at the end of yesterday uh, and the intellectual framework that you have developed and talked about during this week, um, 
is there a way we can reduce down these theories and sort of get our arms around them here in our last segment? Yeah. And and any kind of proofs do you have for believing the way you do in well, concert with this? I can only answer one question at a time, but um, just A through H. Yeah. Let me. Uh, I'll check all boxes and send it to send the forms in triplicate. Um, so we talked about like you can go and you can look at all this stuff and you can find that. If you go and look, you can find you can find pretty easily by looking at history and looking at people who was, who were sincere about what they thought that uh, like Jesus lived. Josephus, Tacitus talked about that. Other people like Thallus talked about events of the crucifixion being actually uh, seen all over the world. That's an interesting. We mm-hmm. could do a whole show on Thallus. Um, we can we show it's pretty easy if you can agree with that. You know, then you have the fact that he was crucified. That he was considered dead, that he was buried in a known and accessible tomb, uh, then then he was preached, raised, and then the Jewish leaders uh, were going to be pretty interested in disproving, disproving the resurrection if they can. Mm-hmm. And then of course uh, the disciples being persecuted and the tomb is empty. Right, the mm-hmm. tomb has to be empty, otherwise people can just go. What are all these people like? They believe in Christ. Well, I can mm-hmm. go. Oh, still a body. Still right. smells bad in here. It's all over if yeah. the body's there. Yeah. yeah. So um with those things in mind, you can look at it you can look at it like there's a couple of theories, right? The first one is, well, the disciples stole the body. You mm-hmm. know? Well, obviously, if the disciples stole the body, uh you know, like the disciples they figured they'd kinda like backed the wrong horse or whatever and they spent three years of their life wandering around with this dude. So they'd be saving face by kning that. Yeah, that's essentially yeah. they're saving face. Um so what we can say, if that's the case, then they lied and they stole a body, right? Uh, the second theory is is that, like, the Roman leaders stole the body. Okay, well, mm-hmm. I, I guess you can buy that. I don't know why the Romans would do that. Yeah, I don't know what their motive would be. Yeah, yeah, there's not really a good motive there. Now, theory three makes more sense that the Jewish leaders did it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, they were trying to prevent some something. You know, they thought that maybe the... Maybe the Jewish people were gonna the the Jewish people that were following Jesus were gonna steal it or make some sort of a case, so they stole mm-hmm. it with the idea to be able to prevent present it later, and then it got lost. Um, but then you're still left with the idea that if they did that, then the disciples are still lying, like because they said all of this other stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like he was raised, he was ascended to heaven. We ate fish with him. Right, they're a long story. Yeah, and it's not just them. There were up to 500 people at one time that uh-huh. saw it, they not saw just 12. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, you could even get into the whole thing about, like, well, how do you explain an earthquake? And how do you explain the dead people walking around mm-hmm. and the, the sun being darkened and the temple veil being yeah. rent, which everybody's going to see because all the Jews right. there at the time are religious Jews, you know. Right. Um, anyway, so you get the same sort of, like, they're lying type of a thing if the Roman leaders steal the body, right? So that's that's the third theory. And then you've got, like, well, maybe the women went to the wrong tomb, like. They got up early in the morning, started walking. They didn't know where they were going. Wound up in some tomb where there wasn't a body and freaked out, run mm-hmm. back. Just happened to have an angel there talking to them, too, yeah. sitting on yeah. the yeah. stone. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but again, you again when you, like, they say all these things. Uh, the disciples say and do all of these things after they meet the risen Messiah. They're completely changed people, and I'm foreshadowing here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so... At the end of the day, they're still, again, making stuff up, right? Then you've got... If a, any of these excuses are true. Yes. They're, 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 they're lying. Falsifying. Again. Yeah, it. they're falsifying, making stuff up, 
and tacking it on to this other sort of mistaken event. Mm-hmm. The same if the fact, like, if it was hallucinations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's hallucinations, they're, like, having flashbacks to, like, the 60s or something. I don't know. You know, wearing too much tie-dye and they show, you know, who knows what's going on. But, again, at the end of the day, they're still lying about what came after that. You know, like, all of the things, eating with them, seeing him go to heaven, um, you know, Thomas putting his hands in his, in his hands, uh, Thomas feeling the wounds in his hands and putting his finger in his side. Mm-hmm. That's all, you know, he's, they're lying about that if it's all hallucination, you know. And group hallucination? No, I don't think so. Further, if you look into psychology, the psychology of, like, group think and hallucination, you see that they're in exactly the wrong state of mind to uh, exhibit those types of uh, hallucinatory um, ideas, you hmm. know, uh, symptoms. Mm-hmm. But that's a topic for another show, for sure. Mm-hmm. We can get all into that. Um, cause that was a long garden path for me. Mm-hmm. Um, then, so then you've got like the resuscitation theory, the fact that it was all planned and there's all like some mm-hmm. big secret conspiracy. They practiced on Lazarus maybe, even though the Bible says that like he was already stinking. You yeah. Know? Yeah. He stinketh. Right. <laughs> what do you mean? Remove the stone. He stinketh. Um, so, but somehow they did all this stuff and, you know, then you've got theory seven, of course which is basically what all of these other theories reduce down to, which is the disciples lied, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the final theory, like, it's really true. Like, he really came out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember, I didn't come at it like like this, you know, this determined, I guess, you know. Um, this is a framework that I developed from, like, other people and stuff. But I, I, did, I did look at this mm-hmm. stuff and investigate it in a not- quite a thing and I remember I remember getting to a, getting to about this point and looking at all of this stuff and going like wow if this is really true this is no wonder it changes people's lives no wonder mm-hmm. you know do you think you were still objective at that point or were you sort of secretly rooting for the fact that it would be true um I think I was not objective at that point um further you know I mean this whole thing is about in, the intellectual aspects of my journey to faith and I don't want to discount like the heart nature Right. You know, I mean, there was there was a lot of bad stuff going on. And finally, I, you know, I just I just threw my hands up into the air and said, God, you know, take over my life. Um, But that's, you know, that's a that's another show. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Um, So but anyway, you're faced with these different mm -hmm. options. Yeah. What was the key data that you used to winnow out which ones you could dismiss? Well, as possibilities. um, Well, the first thing is, I mean, obviously, like. All of these theories sound good in isolation, um, but at the end of the day, the more you think about it, the more, the more. Like I said, I kind of, I kind of gave the reasons a little bit when we were talking about it. Like, uh, like if they stole the body, then they obviously lied, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the Jewish leader stole the body, uh, then again, you know, the guys obviously lied, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that all of these Jewish leaders are going to be more concerned. We talked about the, the other facts, which are easier to prove, you know, uh, like fact. Well, I don't know. I can't remember which number it was. Um, but they were, the fact that the Jewish leaders were more concerned about saving their bacon than they would be about, uh, like, instigating some sort of, you know, stealing the body. Mm-hmm. You know, they would be more interested in disproving the resurrection than secretly helping the disciples. So... If the Jewish leader stole the body, like, why on earth would they do it? Where is it going to go? And plus, the the disciples lied, you know. So, it, again, mm-hmm. it's, like, down to, like, number seven, you know. And then the Roman leaders took the body. 
Um, who knows why they would do that? Like, there's yeah, no, I know there's no, no reason. motive. There's yeah, no there's motive no real that. reason. Yeah. And even still, if they did that, um, you could still like it. Still, it still doesn't alleviate the disciples' responsibility uh, for preaching a resurrected body uh, that they had encounters with, the ascension, all that stuff. Um, you know, the women went to the wrong tomb. Well, that just was like kind of like nonsense, really, when you think about it for any length of time. Because they go, they go somewhere. They knew where they were going. They had laid him there. Watching this crucifixion is this super intense thing. Further, John uh, actually, they stayed at John's house there um, because they talk about taking uh, Jesus' mother into John's home. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other things there that imply strongly that John, uh, we already know that John was well-to-do because the Zebedee family, um, that's not his last name, mm-hmm. Zebedee, his father, had hired servants, which is something only super wealthy people had. Hmm. Okay. You know? um, but they took him into his home. Uh, John knows people there in Jerusalem. You can see from his mm-hmm. the Gospel of John, so it's it's highly likely that he had been there before, like had like I don't know a summer home for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, and so th- these these women are likely going to know where it is. And even if they do go to the wrong tomb, uh, uh, Peter and John running to the tomb, they've been there before because they're mm-hmm. supposed to go to Jerusalem every year for Passover. They're going to know Jerusalem a little better. Well, and it wasn't just any old tomb. It was a rich man's tomb mm-hmm. that had to be something pretty yeah. spectacular. It was, in a, it was in a garden and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, so it's it's sort of inconceivable, really, when you start when you start thinking about it. That's the thing. All of these, all of those theories sound good in isolation, mm-hmm. but when you start reasoning them out, then it all falls apart. You know, right? right. The hallucinations. Um, you know. In, in other words, if you want to embrace those other ones, you almost would have to purposely want to dismiss the resurrection and grab something that is a fl- more flimsy answer. Well, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to hold myself up as a like a genius rhetorician, but I've talked to people about this and a lot of times they come to these false conclusions simply because they haven't like thought this way out, thought mm-hmm. this thing out, you know what I mean? Um, you know like resuscitation. Well, I actually think that people who think of the resuscitation theory as legitimate uh, you know, are not being honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say that nicely, but mm-hmm. I think they're being intellectually dishonest because right. that doesn't make any sense. How on earth, if the crucifixion happened even vaguely the way it's described, both in secular history of crucifying individuals or how it's described in the Bible, how on earth is somebody going to get resuscitated from that? Right. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. You know, further, their diets, the diet of, of the person in Jerusalem is going to lend itself to be uh, lend that self to be a little bit more frail when it comes to catastrophic injury. So it's not like laying around for three days is going to like, you know, wow, mm-hmm. I feel better now that I've had both my legs broken and these right. you know, holes in my hands. Right. You know, how does he walk around? He doesn't. And, his legs are broken. Right. And whipped yeah. enough that he would be dead, you know, mm-hmm. well, virtually dead even yeah. before the cross. Mm-hmm. Well, can, can you elaborate on one that I find particularly compelling? Mm-hmm. And that is... Why, when, when the apostles went to the corners of the earth in remote places, away from everyone, mm-hmm. they stuck with their story, each one of them, mm-hmm. in complete isolation and obscurity, even mm-hmm. though it cost them their lives, mm-hmm. when they had no incentive to stick with their story, mm-hmm. even to save face, because mm-hmm. they were at places where they wouldn't have been exposed, mm-hmm. uh, but they would have saved their life, but they rather gave their life. Mm-hmm. And each of them individually, not not even in a big circle together where there was peer no, pressure. It's conceivable. They were all indip- you would think one of them would have broken mm-hmm. out of twelve if it, if it was all on a lie. It's conceivable that 
uh, like if they were all together, group pressure would have made them stay together. Right. But it's inconceivable that they would go, you know, to the farthest corner of their, of their earth to spread a lie and then die not recanting that lie when telling that lie would get them out of whatever problems they would have. Mm-hmm. You know, they were totally they were totally changed people. Um, yeah, there's that means that theory eight is true. Like it's true. Jesus came out of that tomb. And there's no, if you're being intellectually honest, it's difficult to come to any other uh, conclusion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than that, you know? Um, that's one of the things that, like, I guess we could, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, do you want to get into... Well, none of your other religions you studied in the past offered no. you an empty tomb and a reason to believe there was one. You know, uh, I actually, I actually, sometimes I think that, like, you know, Jesus says, blessed are the people who believe and don't need to see, but... You know, here are my hands and my side right. to Thomas. Um, I almost feel like the resurrection was like that for us. You know, like we're all a bunch of Thomases. And, you know, we can still, if you look at the stuff academically, you can still come up to the, you could come to the conclusion uh, as definitely the most logical that Jesus came out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, they're, so anyway, it comes down to the point, comes down to they either all lied or it's true. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the thing, you know. And that's why Christian doesn't work in a syncretic fa- fashion where it's just one amongst many paths mm-hmm. to God or we merge in an ecumenical fashion mm-hmm. with other belief systems like the yeah. UN would like to do. It has a risen Savior that mm-hmm. physically rose and appeared mm-hmm. and claims it's the only way, and then there's everybody else. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that's going to fit in. It's just a component of multiple paths to God. C.S. Lewis that's said all religions have... Uh, three components. Uh, it was like the numinous, the fact that morality ended up, the morality they had ended up becoming one with God, you know, like divinely inspired morality, and I can't remember the third one. But the other one, he said, Christianity has got one other thing, uh, uh, one more, the fourth, which was the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. And I had actually encountered him right after getting saved, and I was like, I know what he means. <laughs> Like, I'll bet probably more than a lot of people that read this, I, I know exactly what he means, you know. So what happened about it? You're talking about when you got saved. Mm-hmm. You got all this data. You mm-hmm. looked at these things. Mm-hmm. What actually happened at the critical point when you said, I believe I give my heart over to you, Jesus Christ. I make my commitment to you. How, how did that all come about? Well, that's interesting because that actually, you know, I talked about the whole heart thing. Um, uh, you know, like it was like the worst time in my life like maybe ever i don't know sometimes today is pretty bad but mm-hmm. you know these days are pretty you mean rough. just being with me today or you mean well the i, I just meant here in future quick no okay. just kidding just kidding now um yeah i'm just really i'm really busy these days but um like i went through this year like my grandfather died mm-hmm. from cancer and he refused treatment my friend tino like laid down one day to take a nap and didn't wake up mm-hmm. you know he was going to get married he was going. He was being. He was a butcher at night and was going to school in the day for recording, like mm-hmm. engineering school, recording yeah. engineer. Um, he was getting married and stuff to uh, uh, a really good friend of mine's sister. You know, he's just. Mm-hmm. He was like one of those people. You go, wow. Like he's a great guy to be around. Always smiling. You know, always made mm-hmm. people feel good. You know. Um, we talked earlier about a little bit about the the idea that uh, people that people that you meet who have this sort of uh, humbleness, conscious attitude of humbleness, just come off like better than the people who think they're perfect. Like Tino really had this conscious attitude of humbleness. 
Um, well, I could we could mm-hmm. do another show on that. Um, so this was the stuff going on in your life. Yeah, at the time. yeah. Like I got robbed twice. Uh, my car got ran into by a, a trial lawyer. That was like, <laughs> oh, dude, my car got my car got totaled twice in four months. Oh. Um, and like I ran over a four, what was it? A, a four by eight by twenty foot long piece of engineered lumber that was sitting in the middle of the road on Highway 880. Mm. I just ran it over and it just like it blew my tire out and. I did a 180 on, well, 360 mm-hmm. on the freeway. I still remember, like, turning and looking at people. Like, as yeah. they go by, yeah, as they yeah, go yeah. by, I'm yeah. like, ooh, right. that's scary. So so how did that affect your spiritual decision? Man, it was like, I just, it was one of those things where I threw my hands up in the air, and I just said, I can't fix any of this stuff, Lord. You're going to have to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, I give everything I have to you, and, you know, that's it. You're you're it. You are you are the Messiah, God. I'm but yours. you still had to come to a rational understanding of your studies mm-hmm. that this resurrection was legit. Yeah, they actually kind of like they kind of coincided with each other yeah. and stuff. Your external circumstances, other things that were personal mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. timely at that time, yeah. and then the timeless information that you had to decide coincided. Yeah. I was still like I was still about three quarters. I would say probably three quarters of the way through all of this stuff. You know, when mm-hmm. I finally gave my life to the Lord, and um, but I'll tell you, man, when that happened, it was like I was driving. I was driving my grandmother's blue 1994 Ford Crown Victoria because my car was totaled. Like again. Well, you were taking life in your hands, then too. They had the uh, fuel tank. Oh, that's the vertical right. fuel Good. tank. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, I remember doing that. And little did you know, you would meet a guy who. Invented something to protect that vehicle, and yet, and yet was like suppressed. We won't go there. All right, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna take that back. I may have to edit that. So, out. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this comes to the time when you say you're ready to give your heart and life over to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and man, I just threw my hands up in the air and like I was like crying, blubbering like a little kid and all this stuff. And um, I'll tell you, man, I did that and I talked with God a little bit and I got done and it was like. Within about 30 seconds, there was like this, like, presence in the car that was just, it was just amazing. Um, yeah, I'll never forget it. <clears throat> and I was going to my, I was going to my uh, cousin's wedding, and it was like everything changed. Um, I remember actually telling a friend of mine one time, uh, about a week after this happened, I turned to him and I said, everything's going to be all right. And, uh, like, it turned out it was. I ended up getting mm-hmm. in this band with a guy that was a, uh, he turned out he was a he had been a minister and I, I think I mentioned him Monday. Um, he was a minister and <clears throat> he was just like he just knew more about Christianity than like anybody. Um, yeah, it was really it was really cool. I think it was God's way of you know like mm-hmm. getting me into the getting me into the groove. So, well, you know we're coming up here to the last minute or two of the show, but the thing is it didn't solve your physical problems. You you've had more. Problems and challenges since that time. It's not anything many more. <laughs> you know, there was this. There was this. You know, I mentioned Gene Scott a couple times here, kind of giving him credit for this sort of uh, codifying this intellectual framework a little bit. Was that um, one of the things that he said that I thought was just a genius? Was that like cheer up, saints? It's going to get worse. <laughs> you know, it was like now that's a guy that understands. Right. Something. right. I talk to people all the time uh, about about the Lord and about you know minister to different people who've got problems and, you know, try and talk with them as best as I can, you know, and 
one of the things that nobody ever talks about, they're always talking about the love of God, which is true. Mm-hmm. Like, that's true beyond right. a shadow of the doubt. You know, I felt and met the risen Messiah. I know that's true. Right. But that doesn't mean that, you know, like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like hell on earth. You know, everything falling apart right. in life right. isn't going to happen, and it doesn't mean that it's not part of God's plan. So, well, you know, cheer up, saints. It's going to get worse. But he... You had him on board with you to mm-hmm. get you through all this. How many years ago was that decision made? Six. Six years ago. And mm-hmm. and now, would you have ever imagined yourself now teaching the Word of God, teaching on the radio, teaching your own Bible studies? Mm-hmm. Now you're starting to go to a seminary-type environment for advanced degree mm-hmm. in study. Would you have ever guessed this would have become a dominant part of your life? Well... I think a good thing would a good reason to say that is whenever I tell people what's going on in my life that haven't seen me for a few years, they think I'm out of my mind. They like they don't know yeah. what to say. Which they would have done with the Apostle Paul too. Yeah, they talk they? to me and they're like, "Is you that the same? Who are you and what mm-hmm. have you done with Mike Tater?" You know. You, know, you are the embodiment of the people here uh, that listen to our show that have had experiences like you, mm-hmm. and you represent them in this aspect. Well, cool. I guess uh, I'm in the right place. We've got about 20 seconds. Can you say a brief prayer for our people out there who are on the fence about knowing who the Lord is, that relate to what you just said, mm-hmm. and just pray that the Lord would make himself revealed and clear to them? Yeah. Heavenly Father, uh, I just praise you for all of this stuff, you know, doing the show for the week and everything. And uh, Lord, anybody who's not, <clears throat> who doesn't know the risen Lord, the risen Messiah, uh, I would just ask that you would reach out and you know and grab them and bring them into the fold. You know how to reach all of those people, Lord. So I just ask that you uh, that you do that, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. And let us know about that decision. Merv right now is going to tell you how you can contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. We've got to say goodbye. I'm so sorry it's so quick. Well, but I go. love you, brother. I uh, sure too, thank you for your influence in my life and in all the people that listen that are, say they're blessed by you. And uh, we're just getting started. We've got a lot more stuff to do in the Lord. Well, but it's, it. it's good to know the Lord, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the most important thing ever. That's amen, brother. It's, it's the only thing, really. And that'll be the most important thing you'll ever hear on Future Quake. Yeah, it's true. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for obliging us in this. We hope that uh, you were blessed by this. And please let us know what your thoughts are on it. Uh, Until tomorrow, we hope your future is very bright. Have a great day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, no stranger to crying in front of 500,000 of my closest friends, Bionic. 
Yes, people would have definitely had to heard the rest of the show this week <laughs> to understand what you're talking about. Indeed. Our our listeners on the internet, which listen to the compiled weekly show, have a, a distinct advantage. I know. Over the WENO daily listeners oh, here. Oh, sorry, guys. Well, you know, this is a good place to plug our uh, website, you know. You can go out and go to uh, futurequake.com in case you've missed something. We have all of the shows from now till just about when we started, like the Stone mm-hmm. Age. Uh, up and uploaded uh, to download and archived. Uh, yeah. Right. And if you're new uh, here and you're wondering who in the world we are, uh, this is the Future Quake Show, and uh, we cover the newsmakers and topics that we think impact our future way of life from a biblical Judeo-Christian uh, worldview. Mm-hmm. And uh, we welcome all new listeners as well as all the old Futurians out there who join us every week, and it's just a pleasure to have you there. And we hope you enjoyed a unique week that we had this week. I hope you didn't change your radio With dials. Or... Our dear friend in here, Tom Bionic, yeah. and your legions of, of fans that you have out there. Yeah, both of them wrote in and thanked me. <laughs> well, you know, today is Friday. Yes. And I know we have millions of people on their seats out there. I hope they're not wagering, oh, saying, man. will Tom Bionic get it right this week? Well. What does Friday signify on Future Quake? Well, gosh, I was going to say Cinco de Mayo, but it's not. That was a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um. Is this the day that you have to take out the trash? It's today's review of the future's news. <laughs> but wait, know, I think I am technically right, though. I think Friday is trash day here at the Future Quake. Well, Compound. when we when we record this is, is trash day, and that's where the illustrious media titan, Dr. Future, takes the trash from Mrs. Future and takes it out to the curb. Indeed. So I technically was not wrong. Well... We'll see about that. But it's good to be with all you folks out there. And we have some news items. Uh, I know we've, uh, the last few weeks, around a whole lot of announcements and uh, emails and things. And we're going to try to get back to a little more typical, if there is such a thing, Future Quake show today. Got a few more uh, shows uh, or two, stories to, to cover. But I guess I should mention, just as a reminder, uh, and uh, this is something uh, new we just mentioned briefly before, but I just recorded a show on Russ Dizdar's show on Blog Talk Radio, the Shadow of the Darkness show, or preemption broadcast, excuse me, uh, that uh, he does uh, every week on Sunday night. And uh, he, he actually had Guy Malone, and uh, it was a whole show uh, promoting the Christian Symposium uh, about uh, aliens, UFOs, and Bible prophecy. Uh, that is going to be coming up in Roswell, New Mexico during the 4th of July weekend. If you go to ChristianSymposium.com, you can actually find out all about it. And I'd like to encourage all of our Futurians out there to try to attend. You can also find some details at the front of FutureQuake.com about it. But it was quite a gang. We had uh, Guy Malone on with Russ Dizdar, who mm-hmm. both have been prior guests on our show. Mm-hmm. And uh, first hour had Joe Jordan and, and wow. uh, some, so, yeah, some other uh, people present. And then in the second hour, we had... Um, Yours truly here, along with Lynn Marzuli, and uh, uh, another friend of ours, are going to be a new guest here in the next couple of weeks, uh, Bill uh, Alnor. Alnor. Uh, Dr. Bill Alnor is going to okay. be, was, uh, cool. was on there, and uh, we had a great talk. I, it, it was a fast hour. Uh, I was on from 11 to midnight central time, mm-hmm. uh, and if you look under on Blog Talk Radio forward slash Russ, R-U-S-S dash Dizdar, D-I-Z-D-A-R, uh, you'll see a list of his prior shows, and if you look under, uh, what would that have been, May uh, 3rd, I mm-hmm. guess, so Sunday, 
If you look under there, you'll find the show. Well, I'm going to listen. Yeah, I, I think you'll find it very, very interesting. Yeah. And uh, please encourage everybody to go to uh, that conference. Uh, actually, Lynn Marzulli and Russ Dizdar are going to be conducting their own conference uh, on uh, prophecy, uh, see, uh, politics, prophecy, and the supernatural conference uh, mm. in the first week of June in Mansfield, Ohio. Wow. And if you go to the shatterthedarkness.net, there's a link to find out about that conference. Highly recommend anybody in that neck of the woods to go. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on like that. Uh, and yeah. then after the Roswell Conference, we have the uh, uh, pre-wrath rapture. Uh, and you're going to that, right? Prophecy Conference. Yeah, that's going to be up in oh, Wisconsin. Lucky dog. And if you go to prewrathrapture.com, you can find out all about that. So that's it for some announcements. Wow. Check out uh, futurequakeradio.com or futurequakeradio.blogspot.com mm-hmm. to see some of Tom Bionic's uh, musings. Yeah, and extended discussions <laughs> on on topics that we have. So, yeah. is that it for the bulletin board announcements? Um, I can't even think of any. You know, go check out World of Prophecy. We did World Pro- We did the blog spot. We did Future Quake Radio. We did all of the cool people that we've been hanging out with. Well, these listeners days. are saying enough already. Uh, yeah, we get, give a call to Chris White from. Oh uh, yeah, you check out, we've got a new uh, Chris friend. White at Nowhere to Run Radio Show, also on mm-hmm. Revelations Radio Network. And we'd like to say hi to all of our friends at Revelations Radio Network, yeah. uh, new listeners, uh, as well as our friends at WorldOfProphecy.com. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Chris White, who's who's had a show for quite a length of time, uh, similar to our similar topics, mm-hmm. uh, joined us at our local fellowship. Yeah, I know. It's, it's becoming a regular, regular wild bunch, man. It's, it's a black hole. It's just drawing everybody in. Merv was there. Merv was there. Everybody but Dr. Pyro. Future and Pyro Tom didn't make Ionic. it. Yeah. Chris Pinto. No, Chris Pinto wasn't there. But yeah, but he's a regular he attendee. He does go there, yeah. So it's sort of like wow. Camelot, I would say. It's sort I know. of a, a Nephilim kind of way. Minus, the, minus like the round table and the night. And lots of and lots of money and wealth. Yeah. yeah. Except no, for that. No armor or anything. And power and influence. Yep. Well, we need to get on to some stories. Would you like to begin or would you like me to begin? Um, why don't you begin? All I right. I think I went first last time. All right. I'm going to read. This is a very brief story. This is just a little uh, foretaste of... Uh, what we're going to be talking about next week. Mm-hmm. Next week is going to be another very, very unique show. Mm-hmm. It's one that's going to be very memorable, I think. I'm really looking forward to it. And this is a, this is a story that sort of leads into it, and it talks about what impact uh, mind-altering drugs mm-hmm. of, of every stripe are having on our society. And uh, we're going to talk next week about things from a prophetic standpoint. The story from Reuters uh, coming out Tuesday, May 5th. More Americans taking drugs for mental illness. Uh, Many more Americans have been using prescription drugs to treat mental illness since 1996, in part because of expanded insurance coverage and greater familiarity with uh, the drugs amongst primary care doctors, Hmm. U.S. researchers said on Tuesday. They said 73% more adults and 50% more children are using drugs to treat mental illness than in 1996. Wait a minute. Say that. Give me that again. 73% more adults and 50% more children are using drugs to treat mental illness than in 1996. Uh, Amongst adults over 65, use of so-called psychotropic drugs, which include antidepressants, antipsychotics, and Alzheimer's medicines, Doubled between 1996 and 2006. Really? Because so, it would be a 100% increase. Well, do, do they give they give a why? Well, we're, we're getting there. Okay. That was the first paragraph. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we generally it's, very, it's very interesting, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What we generally find is there's been an increase in access to care for all populations, said mm-hmm. 
uh, Sherry Gleed of Columbia University, New York, oh, whose, come on. whose study appears in the journal Health Affairs. You're going to tell me that between 96 and 2006 there was some sort of dramatic Before people just lived, lived in tents, yeah. just out in the barbarian villages. 1996, I was still walking around. I didn't know how to read. Yeah, people just went and were, were bled <clears> and had leeches. Future Quake Studios on my camel. And, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's her story. Park my bow and arrow at the door. That's her story. She's sticking with it. Mental mm-hmm. health has become much more a part of mainstream medical care, Gleed said in a telephone interview in 2006 they said 16 percent of adults 16 or 65 and older had some form of mental health diagnosis 16 percent 16 percent yeah the researchers called data from several large public surveys of health in the united states including from the national center for health statistics the agency for Healthcare research and quality the substance abuse and mental health services administration and the social security administration Gleed said expanded drug coverage under Medicare, the federal insurance program for the elderly, and the state children's health insurance program for poor children help make drugs more affordable. I would say mm. also that they're also writing prescriptions with reckless abandon, too. Well, see, that I'll, might be the other part you Well, I was going to say, you know, I actually, uh, Tom Bionic had sort of a short uh, stint with a good friend of his who wanted tried real hard to get him uh he tried to get me to go and, like, basically push drugs, you know, to these doctors. I mean, legal drugs. You know, like, you go and you've got this new prescription to this other thing. And you mean a drug rep, you mean? Yeah. Be a drug rep. Okay. Be a drug rep. Yeah. And uh, the whole idea, I said, well, what if, you know, like, what's my job? He says, well, you just drive around. We give you, like, a district. You have to have a college degree mm-hmm. so you can talk to these these doctors in a way that's convincing. But you go around and you talk to these doctors and tell them about the drugs. And then you can get – you get – you know, for every percentage that you you sell, mm-hmm. you get a percentage of whatever the doctor's using. They make tons of money. Well, Drug and the other thing, lots of money. The other thing that he it's said work, was that the doctor uh, gets a per, gets a kickback for the mm-hmm. recommending the drugs, mm-hmm. which is uh, would I mean, doesn't that sort in, of in violate of the Hippocratic oath? You would think violate basic laws of morality. Oh, there'd be conflict of interest there. I would say you might think so, but think uh, so. you know, a lot of times they'll bring in tickets and. You know, for sporting events or all sorts of special yeah. stuff for the office and things get like that. Get 200 people on Prozac. It's big money. Get a, you know, right. win a new television. It's big money. The researchers, uh, see, where, have I, where am I here? Uh, Sorry. The study found the number, no, the number of children diagnosed and treated for mental health conditions by their primary care doctor doubled between 1996 and 2006. <laughs> so the number of children diagnosed was wow. doubled. Uh the increases in prescription drug use were particularly rapid in the early part of this decade, between 1996 and 2001. Hmm. For most groups, they have slowed down since then. I guess once you get to a high percentage, you yeah, keep climbing. Yeah, saturation point. Is it right. Know. The researchers did not report total numbers of people treated uh, or calculate the dollar value of the drugs taken. One worrisome find, Gleed said, is that there's been little progress in access to care among people with more serious mental illness. They found treatment for older adults with mental limitations who need help dressing, eating, or bathing fell between 1996 and 2006. Huh. About 7% of Americans with serious mental illness wind up in jail or prison every year, the researchers said. New policies are desperately needed to reduce the flow of people whose primary problem is a mental disorder into the criminal justice system, wrote Gleed and colleague Richard Frank of Harvard Medical School. While the study shows that expanded mental health coverage for people with insurance, especially with those covered in government health plans, uh, they said the ongoing recession and swelling ranks of the uninsured will likely mean less mental health coverage for many Americans in the near future. Wow. 
Or maybe they'll rely on old-fashioned drugs like alcohol and street drugs. Yeah. You know. Um, but what's interesting about that is they're saying, like, the people who are fairly well-to-do, you know, that we think are not, like, I don't, you know, street people and stuff like that, mm-hmm. well, they're really increasing them. Hmm. Sort, sort of like uh, the Rolling Stones, you know, song Mother's Little Helper, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff for people to get by. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to see. There's there's a couple of things that I thought was interesting. One is that, you know, as we see this increasing sort of uh, animosity towards Christian culture and Christianity in general, uh, there's there's also a corresponding increase in, you know, mood-altering medications to keep you mellowed out, to keep you from flipping out. Uh one can't help but wonder if there might be some sort of a correlation there. Which is what the mass, what the elites wanted all along. Yeah. If you read Brave New World mm-hmm. and Aldous Huxley. Bald heads, uh, li- you know, white lab coats. Keep them drugged with Soma. Drooling, yeah, keep, drooling them, keep them drugged. The TV. And so we have a large segment of our society now that's just been drugged up. Mm-hmm. And particularly children. Man, yeah, that's true. That Well, that's the thing that's sort of most scary. When you start looking into the different things about Gardasil and... Factor, what is it, Factor 8 or whatever. Did you did you ever see that thing where they put the uh, the AIDS in the bear aspirin? No, but I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. You sure it was bear? Uh, I believe so. Okay, because we don't want to get sued. No, no. Well, go check out, just to get my facts straight, go to YouTube and type in uh, uh, AIDS, A-I-D-S, in aspirin. And uh, up comes this MSNBC thing where... Joe Scarbo's talk, talking. They had like 80 mm-hmm. million doses or something like that mm. where they, they put all of this uh, uh, tainted, and, and when I say tainted, I mean tainted with AIDS. Live AIDS. Yeah, uh, in, in this aspirin. And uh, uh, the FDA caught on and said, well, you can't sell this. And they said, well, we've got to make a profit. And mm-hmm. they said, well, I don't care how you make a profit, but you ain't selling it to the, the consumers. We, we'll get in the caught. the U.S. Yeah, yeah, we'll get caught. And they said, well, can we sell it to the Europeans? And they said, sure. Well, we'll help you get it out of here. Hmm. And, in fact, people even went to jail that were in the FDA that uh, helped along with this stuff. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's your thought. Do you have a story for us? Oh, I do. Don't sound so enthused. Oh, things are so cheery. Are you kidding? Everything's nice. Okay, lay it on us. All right. Um this one is this one is uh, relating a little bit to our our current sort of quote unquote pandemic going on here. Uh, swine flu uh, pandemic is coming in autumn, so says the uh, um, health secretary Alan Johnson of Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Nice, mellow, relaxing. Uh, Alan Johnson said that the lesson of past pandemics was that initially mild outbreaks had been followed by something much much more serious. His comments came as the number of confirmed cases of swine flu in Britain rose to 18, including two children, with as many as 716 possible patients now being tested. The Health Protection Agency confirmed that a Mexican pilot was one of the 18 cases in Britain. He has since left the country, which is very odd that they're going to let this dude out of the country. You'd think they would quarantine him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of weird stuff about this thing. Uh, an independent school in London had been closed after a 14-year-old girl contracted the virus from a traveler who had recently returned from Mexico. Um, in the third known case of person-to-person transmission inside the U.K., uh, Jenny Steffen, headmistress of South Hampstead High School, wrote to the parents to announce that it would be closed until at least Thursday, canceling the Leavers Ball after a, ni- a year nine pupil became infected. An 11-year-old girl from Wandsworth, South London, also tested positive after a trip to America 
although her school did not need to close as, as she did not attend classes while showing symptoms. Now, that's an odd thing. That was one of the ones that made me want to read this. Uh, there's only been, you know, a handful of confirmed cases here, and yet this this girl got got it. The you know the actuarial math on that is just astronomical. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she would be in contact to of one of maybe 150 to 200 people that likely had swine flu here in this country. So, so what do you think the significance of that is? I'm not sure. I'm just throwing that out there for the readers to uh, uh, think about for a second. All right, listeners. Yeah. Okay. Proceed. Listeners, readers. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> Tom Bionic's working very hard. He's viewers, not thinking straight. Viewers, channelers. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. Sorry. Meanwhile, passengers who traveled on a domestic British flight with a man from Ayrshire who was infected in the United States had been urged to contact the NHS. The man, the fourth conf- confirmed case in Scotland after the honeymoon couple Lane and Don Ashcombe and their friend Graham Pasiti, took a flyby, a flyby flight from Birmingham to Glasgow last Thursday on his return from Texas. At least two Australians are in quarantine in London after being diagnosed with a swine flu virus after returning to Britain from separate holidays in Mexico last week. Mark Robertson, a marketing manager from Sydney, has been ordered to stay in his flat in Islington, North London, for the next four days. He, con- he contracted this, the virus on a Mexican beach holiday at the end of a four-month trip to Central and South America. His flatmates, an Australian and a Brit, have also been told to stay indoors. This whole thing is, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like people are getting it, mm-hmm. come to America, it's like one of a hundred people get it, you know. Well, now they've said now that it's it's toned down now. They think it's not, but, you know, like they're saying there's going to be another wave. Mm-hmm. It could be bad, it comes back. Well, and, and here's here's the other thing that I thought was really weird about this story. The World Health Organization last week issued a level five alert for the virus, meaning that a full pandemic is imminent. Mm-hmm. So they're like raising all sorts of red flags, and mm-hmm. they're saying that this is like, here we go. All right. But, you know, like, how long does it take to make a vaccine? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it make, takes 38 days. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't seem to all add up, does it? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. They found out the, what we're talking about, folks, is the fact that they found uh, the, the Mexican government became aware of the swine flu on March uh, what was it, uh, 18th, and then by the middle of April, the end of April, they already had a vaccine out. We're vaccinating. Well, now, to be people. fair, weren't they saying that their off-the-shelf stuff like Tamiflu was finding that it was working? Well... They weren't claiming that it was some new customized thing for it, right? Well, I, originally, I I had heard that it was a customized thing, but then, hmm. you know, people were okay. saying it was Tamiflu, so... Yeah, I don't know what to believe yeah. anymore. I don't know. That's our the, news has seemed to be so convoluted. You're right. You're right. Uh, um, but you know what we're going to do? The, the, the talk has been about if this is the big one or one's coming later or whatever, uh, the voices over and over again from the government elsewhere say, be expected to be cooped up in your house for three months or more. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping we're going to bring some people in. and They may sound like commercials. They're not intended to. But I mm-hmm. want to bring some people in that can provide us some, some useful information to debate about how to pre- best prepare. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether you think the Lord's coming tomorrow or whether you have no idea but you just want to take care of your family through a garden variety emergency, mm-hmm. the, the end point is the same. You need to have provisions at home. The government says you should do that even. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully we can make that sort of a hallmark here in the months ahead of our show. And we've had some of our listeners that have asked us to do that too. Yeah, you know, that's I wouldn't I wouldn't mind learning about stuff other yeah. than other than like 200 pounds of 
rice with and a big jug of uh, oil. And a, li- and a little oil. And a little That's oil. Right. I'm, I'm pretty unprepared. Well, can I have some, a little story here? We don't have much time, but okay, something sorry. to cheer us up yeah, a little I'm bit. Always, I'm always overrunning things. No, no, so. no, 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 no. i got to start it late here. But uh, this is one to cheer you up a little bit. Uh, House agrees to, this is the House of Representatives, agrees to muzzle pastors with hate crime plan. Hmm. Okay, this is from WorldNet Daily. Uh, members of the U.S. House voted or approved a plan to create a federal hate crimes plan that will provide special protections to homosexuals and others with alternative sexual choices, but leave Christian ministers and pastors open to prosecution should their teachings be linked to any subsequent offense by anyone against a gay. The vote was 249 Whoa. to 175. And came despite intense Republican opposition to the creation of a privileged class. Uh, Bishop Harry Jackson Jr. of the High Impact Leadership Coalition also condemned the action, offering a warning about the future of the United States. He was interviewed on the issue by uh, uh, Greg Corombos of Radio America, and the uh, audio of his interview uh, is uh, also available. Uh, he said that the action simply put sexual orientation in a specially collected cr- class under federal law. Based on history, it really isn't something that needs to be protected, he said. There's a problem that this is going to mark the first time that a protected class status is given uh, to whatever sexual orientation one has. He said that history in other nations is a fairly uh, certain prosecution of Christians. In Sweden, for example, a minister who preached out of Leviticus was sentenced to 30 days in jail for preaching out of Leviticus. Mm, well, that incredibly seditious book. Him and... Uh, the pastor in Sweden there, and uh, Paul and Peter and John, mm-hmm. you know, got to obey God and not man. Flashback. Mm-hmm. Similar state laws have resulted in similar results. In Philadelphia several years ago, a 73-year-old grandmother was jailed for trying to share Christian tracts with people at a homosexual festival, he said. Uh, U.S. Representative Virginia Fox of North Carolina said H.R. 1913 will create thought crimes. And U.S. Representative Trent Franks of Arizona said it will end equality in the United States. Another wow. another representative, uh, Louis Gohmert of Texas, charged the plan will divide America into groups of more favored versus less. He again cited a USC Title 18, the foundation of H.R. 1913, which says any anyone who through speech induces commission of a violent hate crime will be tried as a principal alongside the active offender. That's crazy. So I, it's been pointed out before that, for example, if the pastor reads out of a passage that has something about how God condemns homosexuality, and then somebody goes from the church and spray paints graffiti or something threatening on the house of, of someone who's gay, that the pastor is going to be held guilty uh, alongside for this crime. That's terrible. Well, you know, I mean... People are going to, I guess, what is it going to take for people to wake up and watch this stuff? I had a conversation with somebody just a couple of days ago who couldn't understand why we cover any of this stuff. So, well, it's obvious because they're going to come and they're going to mm-hmm. take your freedoms away mm-hmm. and then the church is going to have to go underground. If you're up, if you're into process, you know, if you're into, you know, being persecuted, that's fine. But you just right. have to understand that that's exactly what you're voting for by not at least talking about these things. Well, how many of our listeners have bothered, well, first of all, to have known about this. I mean, we're reading it a little bit late. Mm. Uh, but how many people have bothered to research this stuff and contact their congressman? Uh, I called our congressman here, Bart Gordon, mm-hmm. and uh, I asked the the person who was the gatekeeper, who mm-hmm. couldn't get past, 
and I asked her just how he was going to vote on this. Mm-hmm. And she said that he was not telling anybody. Answer? Would not tell anybody how it was. I said, well, he had to tell his staff people or something. And she says, nope, he's not telling anybody how he's going to vote. He hasn't decided, but he's not telling anyway. And I said, but I'm a constituent. Yeah. I'm in his district as a citizen. Don't I have a right to know? And they said, no. I said, well, then that's an act of cowardice. Yeah. There's just no other way to determine it than that. Uh, when I looked later, I found some uh, source online to try to look at the vote, and he may have actually voted against it, which I hope. But the fact is that he didn't even want to discuss it with his constituents nice. or even a staffer. Nice. Uh, Send me the Senate. That, I'm here to represent you. I'm just not going to tell you how I vote. They want to play it both ways. Yeah. Well, that was a congressman. Now I believe it goes before the Senate. So I'd like to challenge everybody to get on the phone, you know, faxes, uh, call your two senators. The Senate's going to have a uh, try at this now. Great. And if it happens, um, people are going to get hauled off. Maybe your own pastor at your church. Maybe, maybe you. Maybe Tom Bionic. <laughs> Very well could be us. Very well could be us. Yeah. Of course, they have to find where we are. Yeah, well, we're in the we're in the future quake underground compound. Well, I tell you, someone who knows where we are who needs to come on right now is uh, Merv. To tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Doctor Future and Tom Bionic at Doctor Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've got like seven seconds. I just can't think of anything else. Folks... Uh, stay tuned. There will be another great week of Future Quake stuff coming up on Monday. And we hope you've enjoyed this week uh, hearing Brother Tom. It's going to be a, a mind-blowing show next week. And Boom. like for you to <laughs> tune in and just sort of chew on it. But until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Sayonara. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Crowding out old realities There's revolution Sweeping it like a fresh new breeze That's the old